I don't know. Imagine if you will the stupidest person you've ever met. Are you doing that? Yes, sir. I have him in my mind. Right, and now double it. And that is the, um, what can I say, the, the git that I am living with. Yours, your mine, theirs. Welcome to Yours, Mine, and Theirs, everyone. Although this humble movie podcast isn't very popular with the Chicago Police Department, <laughs> it is written by the esteemed Henry James. I'm your co-host, John, and this one goes out to my shrink, Dr. Marvin. I'm still afraid to leave my house, but I'm podcasting. I'm podcasting. I'm <laughs> podcasting, Dr. Marvin. Hi, I'm Roy, and I'm terrified to do this podcast, but I think I can just, you know, baby steps put on my headphones, baby steps turn on my mic, baby steps do my intro, Baby Steps, remember that I'm just a boy standing in front of a podcast audience asking both of them to give us five stars on iTunes. Oh, you took my intro. Uh, <laughs> this, this is Mike, and I'm just a boy sitting in front of a computer asking you to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, both of you took something I will mention two hours from now. Thank you very much. Okay, well, anyway, hey, again, welcome to Yours, Mine, and Theirs. This is the second one with my big brother, Mike. Uh, this time we're doing community service, and this time it is odd couple movies. And I was mm -hmm. going to complain up and down about the inclusion <laughs> of one of these, but <laughs> watching these, I think uh, we just find it wrong initially but we'll, we'll get there we're talking about the film's midnight run odd couples being robert de niro and uh charles groden and then uh what about bob richard dreyfus and bill murray of course although if you read the behind the scenes it sounds like <laughs> their fraught relationship behind the scenes was uh like eclipsed the fraught relationship on screen. So Ooh, interesting. Um, Juicy. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, Notting Hill where the, uh, the odd couple is uh, be the beautiful Julia Roberts and the beautiful Hugh Grant. <laughs> uh, but uh, we could uh, talk about, you know, redefining that in a minute. So how did the movies go for everybody? Oh, uh, I mean, I've seen all of them except for midnight run. Okay. So I I already knew that I liked that before what about... we talk about it in five minutes. Yeah. Can, <laughs> so go ahead and pause this. So uh, I mean I've always liked What About Bob. It's one of one of my favorite Bill Murray comedies in his like no longer sarcastic phase but goofy phase sort of right. Mm -hmm. And then it's been a long time since I have seen Notting Hill and I remembered liking it, but I kind of just lumped it in with it's one of those '90s rom coms. But mm -hmm. I will have more to say about that later. Yeah, similar for me too. I had never seen Midnight Run or What About Bob, as I mentioned last oh, time. Wow. Yeah. Th that came out when I was on my mission, and so there's that whole gap in my uh, pop culture uh, experience. <laughs> and so a lot of people had mentioned it to me and were surprised I hadn't seen it. So that was my first time with that, first time with Midnight Run. And also with Notting Hill, I, I, I think seen it three times now. Once about when it came out, then a few years later, maybe like 10 years ago. But it had been a while. And so I my kind of thoughts about that movie also kind of changed a little bit. So yeah, there, there was as far as community service. Is, is it one <laughs> of you and Jen's movies? Not really, but we both like it and it was fun to watch it together. So uh, okay. we did not watch midnight run together, uh, but we did watch uh, Notting Hill together and that was very nice. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, yeah. I was wondering just because you said, Oh, Hey, I want to pick Notting Hill. Cause I could probably get yeah. my wife to watch it. So I wasn't yeah. sure if like there was like some kind of story, but it was just like, no, it's just a movie you both like. Yeah. It's one we both like. Yeah. 
Can I say a thing, a behind-the-scenes sort of thing, Mike? A couple weeks ago when you were getting ready to come on and we knew that like we were going to have to pick some community service films for you, mm-hmm. your brother John said, um, we need to steer away from like harsher content because <laughs> Mike maybe won't love that. And I'm like, okay, th- you know, that's easy. This is a good category. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll watch some family-friendly films. And then John comes on and is like, and now we're going to watch Robert De Niro. <laughs> and he's going to say the F word more times than there are minutes in the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was it. kind of surprised. My ears are still bleeding. Yeah. But um, the uh, it was interesting watching the film because we were kind of laughing last time you looked it up and it said like 141 uses of the F word. And I thought that's got to be an exaggeration. And it was. It was way more uh, than that. So I think in the opening credits, there were 141 uh, F bombs. <laughs> Most of the songs included it as well. <laughs> it, I, I know it's bad of me. I just like had this thing where I'm like, I don't know if I just want to, because I could have just picked the odd couple. And I, I was just having a hard time just like thinking of a movie mm-hmm. I wanted to watch. I picked Midnight Run because just a little thing, my favorite podcast is, well, besides this one, is a, a podcast called uh, Film Spotting. And they talk about Midnight Run all mm-hmm. the time. And I just hadn't gotten around to seeing it. And so rather than picking it next time on my John hasn't seen movies, <laughs> I'm just like, okay, let's just, let's just get this. It's a freebie. So, yeah. It's just, it's just a, a freebie. So I'm like, okay, you know what? And, and Mike, since you like already came on once, I'm like, okay, he's ensconced. He's embedded, whatever. So, <laughs> uh, no. I don't know. I I'm, I'm ruling with an iron fist over here. I do love Charles Groden. I think he's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just about everything, but he's really good in this. This, was, this anyway. was made for Charles Grodin, really. I mean, yeah. I think they wanted a bunch of other people for it, but uh, um, yeah. yeah, no, Charles no. Grodin did not appreciate De Niro's uh, uh, kind of method acting because uh, oh, yeah. I, I, th- I think he cut his hands on the handcuffs a little too much, you know, because they wanted to make it real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, whatever. It was fun. It was fun to see a movie I hadn't seen before and didn't know anything about it. And that's always fun to go in a movie that way. And yeah, I'll have more to say about Charles Gordon later in awards. And Robert De Niro, too, he's he's someone, the the films I've seen with him in it, I kind of just got the sense that he was just kind of phoning it in, didn't give much effort to it. And I wasn't that impressed, but um, I was more impressed with him. He seemed to be a little more invested <laughs> in this character. And, and uh, yeah, I liked his portrayal. You've heard it here first. My brother Mike on <laughs> regarding the acting of Robert De Niro. Yeah, not impressed. Phones it not in, really. usually. Usually <laughs> phones it in. Uh, which I, I do, I mean, I think I can agree with you. Because, I mean, when you're mm-hmm. speaking of Robert De Niro movies, I mean, are you talking about movies in the last, I don't know, 30 years? <laughs> yeah, where he kind of phoned it in. Yeah. So this is one of the earlier ones where he's actually seemed to, you know, be making an effort. So <laughs> He looks yeah. so young in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like okay. Mid-40s instead of whatever he is now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about Midnight Run a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to quickly mention, before I forget, and I, I texted this to you guys, uh, according to my records in uh, producing and also accounting uh, for this podcast, um, this is movie number 400 of yours, nice. mine, and theirs. Possibly. Now, Possibly. I say that because... I'm only counting movies that I was a part of, and longtime listeners of this podcast know that Roy did one without me. Uh, not by choice, Mister Vacation. You t- you took 
you took the choice. We could have taken a vacation. But yeah, when I went on vacation to Europe, where I saw Mike in Europe, mm-hmm. yes. uh, yeah, uh, last year, the, the show carried on, and uh, you guys watched three movies without me. I don't think those were included in the 400. So if that's the case, then we just have to retroactively speak. And I think it's very appropriate that the 400th Yours, Mine, and Theirs movie is a movie called Victory, which would be the case. <laughs> nice. So. Yeah. Anyway, that was last time. But Midnight Run, kind of the 400th Yours, Mine, and Theirs movie. So, uh, setting. Robert De Niro is a bounty hunter. And uh, he's one of those movie bounty hunters who's always wearing a leather jacket. And, well, I, you know what? I bet real bounty hunters always wear leather jackets, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to become a bounty hunter and not wear a leather jacket. It deflects stabbings, yeah. maybe. It might. It yeah. might. Uh, and his boss, or, you know, the guy who hires him, is the, you know, Joe Pantoliano from Goonies and The Matrix, that guy. And he, he's always yelling! And <laughs> he, he says... Okay, now, um, I might need some help with figuring out the law on this. Joe Pantoliano bailed out the Duke. Um, mm-hmm. Mar- uh, what's Charles Grodin's name is Jonathan Mandukas. I should remember that yep. name, Jonathan. His name is Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, I shouldn't have... <laughs> I sh-. He didn't bail him out. He set his bail, which, you know, I don't know. I've, I've never done the, the arrest thing. Mm-hmm. Had he known that Jonathan Mandukas stole $15 million from the mob, he would not have done that. So now this guy is free and he needs to get him back or he loses $500,000 or something because mm-hmm. he's in charge of bounties and that's the bounty and he's going to lose this and and it's going to be this big thing. But since this is a criminal who stole from the mob, guess who else is after this guy? It's mm-hmm. the mob. The mob. Yeah. The mob. <laughs> and uh, also the FBI wants him really bad because they're trying to bring down the main mob guy. So obviously everybody wants this guy. So uh, it's a really tricky situation. So he's like, okay, go find this guy and get it back to LA in five days because that's when the, the bail is due or something to do with money. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to charge you $100,000 to do this. He's like, okay, fine. And so he's off. He, uh, By the way, Charles Grodin seems incredibly easy to find. I, I don't know. I don't know what the mob's problem is with, you know, with or the FBI. Or, yeah, neither could find him. Yeah, yeah. The whole the, the the entirety of the FBI. The FBI is listening to is they bugged every phone except for you know the phone where Charles Grodin is at. Um, but Robert De Niro does this weird thing where he he makes a call to the last place he called and he has it's in my awards and I don't. Ex- Mm. I'm not really Might familiar be. with what he did, but he did this thing where he bugs a payphone and then he has a recorder set up to the payphone. It's really high tech, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's this it's this thing that I'm like, okay, well, I get it. So he's able to record a conversation. He hears Jonathan on the other end and he he- hears the number that the person he called dialed to get to Jonathan. And so he gets he listens to the dial tones and he's got perfect pitch and he's able to like <laughs> figure but out the phone number based on that right there's not nine distinct noises there's like three distinct mm. noises maybe a, he lives at nine one one. okay <laughs> i don't know yeah i guess did they take it out so that we wouldn't figure out what that fake phone number was by listening to the tones maybe i don't i well no i so i'm not saying that we only heard three distinct noises i'm just i'm saying that one four and seven make the same noise as do two five and eight like there's only three distinct 
tones that your phone makes. No, that's not true, is it? I'm pretty sure that's true. I don't know if that. Maybe that's pretty true. Pretty sure that's true. Uh, I'll, I'll gosh, uh, go get on your phone and call me. We, yeah, <laughs> I got to find a dial tone phone. I mean, do the do the modern day phone? Well, maybe your modern day iPhone. You know how it has the pads that you push and just has the face. Maybe it doesn't it, do that anymore. Possible. Yeah. Also, maybe I've been tone deaf this whole time and I don't know what I'm talking about. So. We'll just let it. We'll let the plot keep going. He's very clever with That's his device. My new there, yeah. Goof. Okay. <laughs> uh, the thing is, the dad from some kind of wonderful is yes. also hired. Oh, that's who that is. Wow. That that was an amazing moment for me because I, when he came on screen, I thought, I think I know this person. And then when he dropped his first F, I'm like, oh yeah, it came that scene. Like, where's the bleeping money, Keith? Where's the thing money, Keith? Yes. (laughs) And I really think as I watch this movie, like they're probably made about the same time. I meant to look it up at Midnight Run and some kind of wonderful about the same time, right? Yeah. Within a couple years. I I think that that when he plays Keith's father in some kind of wonderful, I think he is a bounty hunter. I think that's his actual life. He's that character that's why he's so grumpy he makes it home every once in a while keith's got to go to college um so i that totally i could not get that out of my head the whole movie is that's keith's dad uh is the other uh bounty hunter is it is it why when keith was walking home from school that one day and his dad drove by he opened the door and knocked keith over with a car right see that's just what he does (laughs) so both movies take place in the dorfler universe yes Mm -hmm. yes but that's that's definitely dorfler's move he always drives his car around and like opens his door and knocks people. And that's actually a Martin Brest move um, because uh, the director, Martin Brest, uh, he did. Uh, yeah. And his name is Brest. I can't get over that. Whenever I say his name, I'm like, his name is Brest. But am uh, giggling already. Okay. I know. Yeah. Uh, Axel Foley, Beverly Hills Cop. Ever mm, heard of it? Yep. That's, you know, mm. his other movie. This movie seems a lot like yeah. Beverly Hills Cop. It just yeah. doesn't have the Harold Faltermeyer score. It has the Danny Elfman score, which we'll get into. I'm going to talk a, a lot more about score that. for yeah. Danny Elfman. Yeah. yeah. And um, anyway, but Axel Foley does the Dorfler move in Beverly Hills Cop, where he opens the door and the guy, when the guy runs by, knocks him out using a car door. So, but also the thing about Dorfler is he gets punched out by Robert De Niro. I think three times Robert De Niro punches Dorfler unconscious to try to get rid of him because he's trying to like capture Charles Grodin. So, but the thing is, okay, De Niro, he gets Grodin and uh, they are, uh, you know, all they have to do is take a flight to L.A., but uh, <laughs> he refuses to fly. He says, the plane is too big. It's too big. It can't go up. <laughs> uh, and the captain says, okay, you know what? You're not allowed to take this guy on the plane. So whatever. They take is that the, the weirdest thing you've ever heard? The captain's like, you can't take a prisoner on a plane if he doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, Grodin should have appealed to this captain a lot more. <laughs> Grodin so should have been plane, like these handcuffs are not they're not they're chafing me man yeah so first class has really gone mm-hmm. downhill because this plane has a spiral staircase in the first yep. class uh, section that yeah, was one of my questions go? does yeah. does it go up to like uh, a pilot's like an, bubble like an observatory where you could do like a titanic move or something <laughs> well but the pilot came down from there right so that must be the cockpit is is above the first it uh, he may have been just checking out the Millennium Falcon guns, you know, <laughs> like on the top I, and bottom of the plane. I appreciated it though when the pilot like slid down the the banister on his way down. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, might as well enjoy that. Yeah. I mean, it might be a blessing because I mean, if they just took the plane, then everybody would have just been waiting for him in L.A., right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that wouldn't have worked. So, I mean, De Niro knows better than that. So, I don't know. They probably should have taken the train anyway. So, they take the train. But it's also, at this point, it's planes, trains, and automobiles. Just whatever means they can. Um, some stuff happens because Dorfler, you know, he's all on the track for him. And Dorfler's kind of dumb. He does some dumb things, but he also does some very bounty hunter things. Like when he calls Robert De Niro's credit card company to ask where he used his card last. He's like, oh, you know what? I better cancel that card, you know, which is a really <laughs> yeah. great thing to do. So Robert De Niro and uh, Jonathan, they're broke. Uh, and they're sitting here. They pretty much have to, eventually they just become hobos uh, going across town, uh, across yep. the country, uh, and they they go on a on a freight train and do that thing. Um, but you know what? The thing is, they kind of get to know each other. They become friends eventually. Slap. We this it's pretty much the plot of every single movie we watch is two people don't care for mm. each other at first, and then they become friends. Uh, but I mean, they're inevitably going to become friends because the big thing in the background is that the reason Robert De Niro is a bounty hunter is because he was thrown off the Chicago police department Mm. because uh, the guy who, the guy who Charles Grodin stole money from Serrano, he had the entire Chicago police department in his pocket on the payroll. Mm. He's a mob boss, right? Uh, And he refused to take the cut. And so, he was fired for not taking the cut. He got a divorce, and his wife married one of the cops that took the cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's not gonna. That's that's, that's pretty rough. It's not mm-hmm. not a good, not a good. Yeah, may as well have taken the money, Robert De Niro. But no, no, he's you know he's he's got scruples. He's got uh, the the integrity, if not of a police officer, of a really great bounty hunter. <laughs> so uh, they actually stop in at Robert De Niro's ex-wife's house, and she still respects him, I guess. And his daughter that he hasn't seen in like nine years, mm-hmm. and she's like yeah. twelve years old or something, yeah. uh, which is, uh, you know, it's not sad. a good way to live your life. I don't think you know yeah. you do the right thing, and that's what you get. You don't see your twelve-year-old yeah. daughter for nine years. I mean, that's her entire life. Uh, but I don't know. She does. She does fork over two hundred bucks. She forks yeah. over two hundred dollars that she's been saving. I think because, uh, you know, I don't know. Robert, he, he's a, an honorable man, right? Maybe that she just hate, seeps. Through. She hates her bribe-taking cop dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, like her dad is always trying to accept bribe, like <laughs> solicit bribes from his stepdaughter, and she just won't give in. <laughs> so she she hasn't let go of a single dollar of that two hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, but the thing is, I mean, Charles Grodin has a really good point. He's like, I can't believe you're so honorable that you're going to you're taking me in because I'm a criminal. Well, I stole fifteen million dollars from a mob boss. That's the real criminal. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm going to be murdered within a few hours of being in jail because the mob boss wants me killed. Uh, and so I don't know you know, what the good thing is you're doing here. You should really let me go because if anybody deserves to have $15 million, it's, it's me. Well, no, but <laughs> he, gave, he gave almost all of it to charity. Yeah. He did give almost all of it to charity. Uh, but, yeah. you know... He did pay the tax. He kept. He kept like I don't know. He kept like a million dollars for himself. Yeah, yeah he kept. He's got a million bucks in his underwear. He's kept that. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah, and there's there's like that much a lot of money in his underwear. Um, I, I think it's like two hundred thousand dollars in his underwear and eight hundred thousand dollars, you know, in his wife and various women that he whose homes he frequents. Because uh, yeah. I I couldn't I didn't really understand his relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
with all of them. But I, I think, isn't that what you would do too? Like if you, hide it in my underwear, I guess. I mean, I <laughs> of course you would do that. You know, you you just want it. You just want I to would, feel it all the time. I right? would stuff it though, like um, like Zach Galifianakis in uh, Masterminds, <laughs> big bulging underwear full of bills. Yeah. When are we going to watch Masterminds so that you don't reference it anymore? I've tried. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Have you seen it before? I have seen Masterminds. Oh, dang. I was going to say, now's your chance. But go ahead. Keep uh, going. Yeah, that's my chance. I'm going to use one of my slots for Masterminds. <laughs> um, but that's, no, that's what you would do, right? I think if you stole, if you stole, if you came into $15 million, you'd be like, okay, you know what? I could use a million dollars. Yeah, you would, you would, uh, you would tuck some away. It's, sure. And so mm-hmm. you tuck some away. It's just, yeah. And then, you know, when you have that much money, it's like, hey, I can actually, do good and also i can get rid of this mob money and they can't trace me as easy uh but yeah okay keep a million give the rest away okay but the point is it's they finally get to la dorfler almost ruins everything the fbi is still after them well he shoots down a helicopter he does that's awesome the fbi actually catches uh, Jack, after uh, the is it is it Dorfler has grabbed what's his head? Yeah, Dorfler, no, the, the and mafia, kidnaps, yeah, and then the mafia is after Dorfler and everything. Well, so. but the mafia gets the mafia gets Duke from uh, Dorfler, mm-hmm. and Jack gets caught by the FBI, and mm-hmm. and he says, "Okay, FBI, I can set this up so you can take down Serrano, right?" Mm-hmm. So that's where we're at. So Jack yes, wants yes. to save Mandukas's life. And the FBI wants to take down Serrano. So that's now that we're in LA, that's where we're at. Right, right. That's where we're at. Thank you for bringing that up because I, I forgot that part about like how De Niro has this plan to. It's like, okay, you know what? We can get this guy, which is what he would want all the time because yeah. that's, by the way, a real villain. He's in the cafe, he's enjoying a cup of coffee, and he looks to his left, and the entire cafe is filled with FBI. And he just didn't notice any of them like slide on in. <laughs> Right. But there's like 40 of them there. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, they're good at that. They're good. Uh, Dorfler almost wrecks everything because, you know, he tries to capture uh, the Duke again. Mm-hmm. John during the handoff. During the handoff. That's and, also, like, that's the worst. Okay, so there are so many cops in that airport. They're, they're like, mm-hmm. they're sticking out of shop crevices and around corners, and Serrano's just the worst mob boss ever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. 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 He, it was, it's so funny seeing, like, balconies and shelves of very <laughs> obvious, like, they all have the same sunglasses. They're all just looking. <laughs> um, but yeah, it reminds me of that, that Simpsons when uh, I think the FBI is, is bugging Homer's house, and he realizes it and like I think Marge looks out the window and it's like the pizza company is called Two Guys from Quantico Pizza Company. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, okay, but the thing is they're they're friends and he's able to oh boy. It's been a little while since I've seen this. Is he able to just let Charles Groden go? Because no yeah, one cares about Charles Groden anymore because they got Serrano. Yeah, he calls the bounty hunter guy and he says, hey, look, look who I've got on the phone. And Charles Grodin talks to the Matrix guy on the phone. And then he says, and that's the last time you're going to hear him because I'm letting him go. Mm-hmm. And then Charles gives him his underwear money. And then he looks down to appreciate the money. And then he looks up and he's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's yeah. he vanished like the wind. But it's I guess it's kind of cool because 
he was going to get $100,000 from the bounty hunter guy. Mm-hmm. He talked him up to it. It was like a really good deal. But it's $300,000 that uh, that the Duke gives to him. So he can open up his coffee shop. Yeah. You know, which is, yeah, pretty good price for coffee shop. Uh, hopefully, he's able to get that done. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. And there's a backup story. He does this bluff where the reason Serrano is interested in doing a trade rather than just doing murder is because the Duke mm. said that he has information on Serrano. He just didn't get around to putting it on computer disks. Quote. Mm-hmm. They, they keep talking computer disks because they're like, I guess kind of a new thing, floppy disks at this time. Yeah. Um, and he didn't get around to putting it on, but Robert De Niro says, okay, no, we have everything. We have all this evidence. They're on computer disk, but... Uh, I have all five megabytes of your <laughs> right <laughs> information. And if you've ever seen 16 Candles, you know... We don't have enough money. We didn't win the bet for the ten floppy disks to copy the information <laughs> on floppy disks again. Yeah, uh, so there's no way the, the the information could possibly be on another floppy disk. But yeah, it's just a bluff anyway. So that's that's how it ends. It's just you know a little bit of you know 80s stuff. It's like yeah, mm-hmm. the floppy disks are going to save the day. Uh, that's pretty. That's Midnight Run. I kind of um, yeah. there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens because it's a road movie for the most part uh, yeah. where one person hates the other person. <laughs> that was a very good summary. Yeah. Well done. Well, I don't no, know so that. this is kind of, I mean, it's, it's sort of similar to trains, planes and automobiles, except, you know, one of them stole from the mob and the other one is a bounty hunter, but right. Like you're right. It's just like a road trip across the country and they have to keep going from one form of transportation to the other while they are busy hating each other. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it, I mean, it, one fun part is, they everyone's kind of double crossing each other not double i mean they're obviously enemies but like when dorfler cancels robert de niro's credit card so he can't go Mm -hmm. anywhere they also like uh robert de niro also uh swiped the fbi agent's badge and so he's going around impersonating an fbi agent that's a running gag everywhere everywhere he goes and so he's able to like commandeer stuff uh and you know they they're able to develop a rapport where uh, they claim that a bunch of money has been counterfeited that they have to confiscate, you know, for example. So speaking of commandeering, so in the movie, uh, uh, um, John, this is the part you would edit out if you were editing, but you're not going <laughs> to edit. I'm not going to so edit this out. No, like, we're not editing. Like, 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 okay. Uh, the axe murder movie. So I murdered an axe murder, Charles Grodin mm-hmm. part. Yeah. Where the cop pulls Charles Grodin over and he's like, <laughs> Hey, I, I need to commandeer your vehicle. And, and Charles Grodin is just like, no. <laughs> He's like, I happen to know you can do that. And uh, that's perfect Charles Grodin. That was one of the best scenes in that whole film, which, by the way, that movie hasn't aged real well. The last time I saw it, I was like, oh. Anyway, whatever. I think you saw the same thing. I I don't think it hasn't aged well in the sense that, oh, it has a bunch of offensive material. It's just it, not funny. I'm yeah. not sure what was wrong with this 20 years ago. Well, it, I think it was really funny. I think... It's. Uh, I think you felt the same way I did, where uh, the character that Mike Myers plays is just the worst. Hmm. He's the worst. <laughs> I'm not going to edit. Don't that. edit that out. I'm not Don't edit that, that out. out. No. Yeah, yeah, that was sorry. amazing. Anyway, yeah, Mike Myers is terrible in Sorry, Married Axe Murder. Hey, the bad guys, when they're in the helicopter and they're shooting at the car, they perfectly shot the hood off of that car. Hmm. Like, those bullets just popped that hood right off. That was pretty great. Yeah, it comes with training. There's a Whitewater River... Uh, chase in this film uh-huh. 
There's so many. Anyway, there's anyway. This movie. Like it, it looked like they uh, Robert De Niro did was in the water. Like I'm sure they had stunts yes. for a lot of it, but that was that was pretty cool. Like he's right there and and uh, kind of in danger, and I appreciated that. And I also liked Robert De Niro his character. It was a nice kind of twist to learn as the movie went along. He's he's actually got integrity. Like he's a good guy. Like you said, John, he didn't take the bribes, and and he's he's trying to do things the right way and. And that made it more fun to kind of cheer for him. He's not just this, yeah. you know, doesn't care about anything bounty hunter, but he's got scruples. It's the opposite of Copland, Robert De Niro, which, mm. John, have you seen that movie? I thought about seeing it. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Copland. It's really good. Anyway. Yeah. It, it, it's the, uh, it, it's, is it, is it, isn't the movie where Sylvester Stallone, it's the biopic of Aaron Copland, the, uh, the composer, the American composer. Um, Copland? Oh, I see what you're saying. You're so, you're such an idiot. So, <laughs> no, but Stallone was he like nominated for an award for that? But that was like the Stallone's back. One of it was that movie, right? Where it's like, hey, we forgot that he can act. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so you're not going to see it because you thought about it, but you're not going to. But that would have yeah. been fun. No, anyway. no, that's this is going to be a fun running thing. Which three movies has John never seen? <laughs> You've already like considered a couple of them so far. So, okay, yeah, very keep good. going. Uh, okay, well, has, does anybody have any questions about Midnight Run? I, I do. Ha- I have questions. Yeah, I've got just a handful of questions, more for this one than other ones. And I've been kind of quiet on purpose because I think I made your last podcast set a record for how long it was. So I'm trying to go <laughs> you know, Lord of the Rings and everything. I kept jumping in. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to restrain myself. Uh, so I've got a few questions here. Let me just look at this. Um, one of the questions I had is, can you get lung cancer from watching a movie? Uh, because as I watched <laughs> this movie, I, I thought my lungs started to hurt. Thought, wow, there's so much smoking going on. Everyone is just always lighting up. Is that um, so weird to you? Because yeah, I the yeah. 19, 1988, I was only what like eleven years old, but like we were I, alive when people were smoking all the time. Yeah, right. I remember like when my parents had to request the non-smoking section of the restaurant. Like that was still a yeah. thing back then. Yeah, yeah. like you remember, it's, you it's, go to like a hotel room. It's like okay, we're out of non-smoking hotel rooms, and you have so, to stay yeah. in a smoking one, and, yeah. and and you're like, what is this field I'm walking through? <laughs> So that is, yeah, that's uh, one of the things, just how things have changed. I'll have something to say about uh, that with What About Bob as well, just how how quickly things can change, kind of social Mm -hmm. uh, sort of expectations. Um, I was curious if like some uh, Deadbolt company uh, sponsored this movie, because there's so many close-ups of Robert Nero breaking a lock, picking a lock, just how easy (laughs) it is to get into anything. Um, I also had the same question about airline experiences. Like That's changed a lot. Like I I, I don't fly first class, but I've never seen uh, a first class like this one with lobster and steak and roses. And oh, man. That was amazing. Maybe um, the first class in uh, The Wedding Singer. That was a pretty swanky mm-hmm. first class. Yeah. So there they exist. Um, one question, how does Robert De Niro drive uh, so far and so well without looking up? Like, that's something that happens in movies. You know, he's in Chicago. They just stole a car. He's going so fast, but he's looking at, at Charles Grodin so much. I'm like, look up. You're going to crash here. <laughs> Um, I wondered how you'd build a fire on the train when they hopped on the train, but then I remembered, of course, they all have lighters, but they just yeah. conveniently have a little campfire on the train as they're going along. Um, the, the the previous hobos that were in the train. Right. They, they yeah, it's a just something kind of a standard yeah, there. Um, then just three more. Uh, I noticed the scene where they're in the desert, like they go off-road and they're driving across, and they're in a truck, but all the police cars are following them, and then they're on a dirt road. Uh, I noticed the helicopter 
just stays right with the police cars. <laughs> like it's just it's just flying right above the police cars. There's a big line coming down. Why doesn't the helicopter just move on and and go get right over uh, where Robert De Niro was? But no, they just kind of stay as a little cluster there and and just stay synchronized. And I wondered at the end when they made the deal and and um and and De Niro's got his guy and he's going to take him back. Um, can't the feds like? escort him back to LA like they they would have an interest in the Duke they they probably want him alive so we can testify but no it's just Robert De Niro and the Duke off by themselves and I thought so many bad things could happen <laughs> could they yeah. send one guy with them and then my last question I just couldn't help thinking this the final scene as I looked at those guys I thought um, how bad did they smell at that point after all that yeah. adventure of getting across <laughs> the country? Um, they were probably in pretty bad shape by the time they got to the uh, LA airport. It, like he was, he was carrying $300,000 under his clothes. Right. That's there, been there the whole time. Yeah. So, so that, that money smelled pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. We should launder it. <laughs> uh-huh, but I'm sh- because good. someone is going to wonder where Robert De Niro got $300,000 from. <laughs> And I love that he asked the taxi driver, do you have change for a thousand? <laughs> so that's yeah. all he had is those bills now. Yeah, I I, I wanted yeah, I wanted to bring that, that up. And and it's, so he's like, I guess I'm walking he's like walking from LAX to wherever you I don't know if <laughs> yeah. you could if that's even possible to walk from LAX mm-hmm. anywhere. Um but yeah, so he's like I, I think it's it's always funny. It's like, okay, yeah, I have $1,000, but I can't use it anywhere. So I guess I'm poorer than I've ever been. <laughs> um, so it's a fun way to end. Uh, nice. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I did have a question on, and I think the movie answered it. But I, I kind of, I don't understand why the FBI is so anxious to, like, arrest the Duke. Because, um, I mean, mm-hmm. they have to use him to get to Serrano. Like, yeah. the movie kind of made me believe, and I, I think there's something I forgot about the movie. The movie made me believe that the only hope Charles Grodin has of surviving the week is for Robert De Niro to take him in and protect him. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, and once he goes to jail, he's obviously going to die. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it would be in the best interest of the FBI. It seems like the FBI has a lot more power to protect the duke than yeah. anybody else in the world so it seems like he should flee to the fbi mm-hmm. yeah i don't think the that's that's a good point i don't think the fbi is trying to arrest him and send him to jail the fbi wants him as a witness right mm-hmm. yeah they, they want his information so they so he will help them take down serrano so i think you're right uh witness protection with the fbi was probably the safest way to go for him and yeah and, and the yeah. fact that robert de niro kept saying i'm taking you in because you're a criminal yeah um yeah like what who would convict charles groden is like right. yeah you stole 15 million dollars from this known we all know he's a mobster i mean i guess on paper it wouldn't fly and i guess i don't know i i guess serrano could claim legitimacy and get a really good lawyer and yeah maybe it wouldn't work but it it should be pointed out that robert de niro committed an enormous number of crimes on this road trip yeah yeah <laughs> i mean he murdered helicopter people he murdered he, helicopter people i mean yeah. i uh, maybe murder is a strong word but i mean there's gonna be a lot he of slaughtered people for, yeah just slaughtered them <laughs> yeah yeah uh and and he stole lots of stuff from the fbi he was roy as you mentioned uh he's going to get prison time for impersonating an fbi officer for five <laughs> <Yeah>. days <laughs> well so i think he probably got his deal right like his immunity deal like i will help you take down serrano mm-hmm. i don't That's go to right. jail for 10 years yeah Something like that, yeah. Whatever. 
Um, okay, well that's midnight run. Let's do let's run. It tag wasn't one. a midnight. It wasn't a midnight run at all, though, was it? No, because a midnight run is a thing where like it's in and out real quick. You grab the guy, you bring him back. Right, right. As uh, Joe Pantoliano says, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so. Yeah, it's not very well titled. I'm sure we'll get to that later. Okay, but let's do taglines. Okay. Roy, tagline. Yeah. All right. Midnight run. Planes, trains, white water, and station wagons. Oh, <laughs> Mike? My turn? Yep. Okay. So for my tagline, I have to give a little bit of an explanation because uh, the tagline, I know we haven't talked about this movie yet, but for um, Notting Hill, is it's a question. Can the most famous star in the world fall for the man on the street? And I don't know why, but that just really bothered me. I thought that's a dumb tagline. So you guys, <laughs> yeah. you guys do this a lot. You look at a lot of taglines. Is that kind of common to have a question like that? Um, it ju- I just thought that it's was really dumb. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you're going to walk down the street and say, can the most famous film star in the world fall for the man on the street? No, of course not. I'm not going to see that movie. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so I just thought that was a dumb tagline. So in honor of that dumb tagline for Notting Hill, I made all of my taglines questions. Okay. So <laughs> for Midnight Run, it's uh, how many F-bombs can you pack into two hours and six minutes? That's the question. And then in parentheses, more than you would think. Uh, they really <laughs> packed them in there. <laughs> good, good. Okay, very good. Uh, okay, my tagline is and by the way I didn't come up with this I stole this from the trailer to the movie which was not listed in the taglines it's just what the announcer says in the trailer to the movie and he goes they're seeing america the hard way at gunpoint <laughs> um, nice <laughs> should have been on the poster mm-hmm. okay what about bob you ready yeah I'm ready okay so it should be Okay, let's talk about this first real quick. John mentioned that there was some off-screen animosity. Mm. So, and to this day, it's hard to say whether this was intentional by Bill Murray to create the tension in front of the camera. But Richard Dreyfuss said this is one of his worst filming experiences in his Mm. life because Bill Murray was the biggest jerk ever. (laughs) Like he was awful. Like he would say things like "Nobody likes you," right? And he would. I guess he threw an ashtray at him at one point. Yes, yes, wow. yeah. That's it's 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 it's, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, we kind of complain about living in cancel culture where no one can do anything. But some of the surprising things is how how is Bill Murray still respected mm. by people? <laughs> Uh, so everything I heard about like his off-screen antics, you know, especially during this time, maybe he's better now, but you know, I don't know. He, yeah. uh, it, it it it's story upon story of uh, of just uh, criminal behavior. Mm. Yeah. So it'd be one thing if like after the shoot was over, Bill Murray went up to Richard Dreyfuss and said, "Hey, hope there's no hard feelings. I think you really helped the film." But there was none of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was never any patching it up or apology. Wow. So the no one knows if this was a tactic by Bill Murray or if it was just Bill Murray being <laughs> Bill Murray. Anyway, and no one knows to no one asks Bill Murray because he uh, apparently doesn't have a phone and he only comes out like he only shows up to <laughs> random yeah. movie things to it's weird. He's a weirdo. Oh. Okay. Throw an ashtray at you. Yeah. yeah. So it, I mean, it works though. So here's here's the here's the story. So Bill Murray plays a multiphobic personality named Bob Wiley who can just barely function. And 
Richard Dreyfus is Leo Marvin, Dr. Leo Marvin, a very successful psychiatrist who has just come out with a book. And the setup is he's about to go on vacation to Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire with his family, where Good Morning America is going to come and film like, you know, cute little five minute piece about him and his book. And so he's got that to look forward to, but he's got one last interview before he goes. And it's Bob. And the reason he's interviewing with Bob is because Bob's psychiatrist handed him off to Leo. I think Bob's psychiatrist is now retiring because of Bob. Yeah. And so they have their first interview. Dr. Finstenwald. Sure. Dr. Finstenwald. We we just learned that. Yeah. They have their first appointment. It seems to go really well. He gives Bob a copy of the Baby Steps book and Bob really takes to it. And Bob feels like, wow, things are going to change. It's going to get better. This is really going to work for me. And then, of course, the doctor tells him, I'll see you in a month after I get back from my vacation. And Bob, when he processes this, he starts freaking out. He just can't handle being away from his doctor for very long. And so after multiple failed attempts to get in touch with um, his doctor, uh, he including a fake suicide, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it's the fake suicide that makes it so that he can get the address to where he's mm-hmm. at in Lake Winnipesaukee. At one point, he's on the phone with Dr. Leo and he says, are, are you, you know, how's the family up in Maine? And <laughs> so my, I guess like, if if Dr. Marvin had slipped that, yes, they're in Maine, that Bob would have just driven from town to town in Maine <laughs> and just gotten out everywhere and yelled the Dr. Marvin's name? <laughs> we know he's capable of just getting out of his car and yelling Dr. And yelling. Marvin's name. <laughs> that really is, do that. Yeah. That's such a great scene. He shows up in Lake Winnipesaukee and he gets off the bus and he just starts yelling, Dr. Marvin! <laughs> and uh, as coincidence would have it, Dr. Marvin is buying groceries uh, at the same time. So they run into each other. And so Dr. Marvin makes it really clear he's on vacation, but Bob, I'm going to let you be on vacation too. I'm giving you a prescription. You can be on a vacation from your worries, your problems. And so we think everything's fine. Bob's going to go back home, but Bob doesn't go back home. He shows up the very next day at their house and he's like, Hey, I'm on vacation too. We're not uh, here as patient and doctor. We're just, I'm just going to hear, be here on vacation and and we'll get to know each other on a personal level. And of course, this is kind of a disaster for poor Dr. Marvin um, because he's got this interview coming up and Bob, it, frankly, just drives him crazy, right? <laughs> so part of the problem is that everyone actually really likes Bob. Bob's mm-hmm. really likable. Um, and Bob seems to be able to do the things that Dr. Marvin can't. Dr. Marvin kind of struggles relating to his Mm -hmm. kids. He's got a kid who's got a death fetish that he's trying to teach how to dive and he can't. And of course, Bob teaches his son how to dive. And that's, that may be like the beginning of where it's certainly not by example, though. He's not capable. Not by example. Yeah. (laughs) So, but what, so, so Dr. Marvin's mental state is starting to deteriorate because of Bob's presence, but Bob, because he's having a vacation with uh, friendly people who are supportive, his mental state starts getting better, right? Like one by one, he starts kind of overcoming his problems. Like he wasn't able to touch things without a tissue before, but now he can. Uh, let's see what else he, um, uh, I had a whole bunch of dumb things written down. Oh, he goes sailing. Ahoy. He's a sailor. So well, he, he goes, goes sailing in the same sense that uh, Odysseus can hear the siren song. <laughs> yeah. <by> being, <laughs> they, yeah. They tie him to the mast and he goes sailing. Um, but he's, he's pretty happy about it. He's a sailor. Even though when he was talking about going sailing with Anna, the daughter who I guess she's 16 because she can drive. Mm-hmm. She seems really young and there's mm-hmm. going to be a weird moment coming up later 
But uh, she says, want to go sailing? And his lips start getting numb just thinking about it. But he decides, yeah, let's go sailing. And so then, like, he's just spending an enormous amount of time with the family to the point where he spends the night at their house because he gets caught in a rainstorm. And then the interview happens the next day. And as it turns out, Dr. Marvin is the worst interviewee <laughs> of all time. It's just a disaster of an interview. But uh, Bob, who's there for the interview, is just the hero of the interview. And he kind of takes over. And I think the next thing that Dr. Marvin does is he tries to get him committed to a hospital. But when they get to the gate to go to the hospital, the gate guard's like, hey, aren't you Bob Wiley? I saw you this morning. You were great. (laughs) And so poor Dr. Marvin, he leaves him at the place. He thinks he's committed into the hospital. Not so, because as soon as he gets home, he's got a call from the head psychiatrist there saying, come pick him up. We can't commit him. I'm pretty sure this is like how the Joker convinced Harley Quinn to become a villain. (laughs) Uh, Harley Quinn, I think, was his psychiatrist at Arkham Asylum. So real Joker vibes. It's Mm. kind of, you know, it's, it's inspiring that Bob is mentally healthy enough to fool an entire you know, uh, institution that he's, he's completely sane, but it's also like kind of frightening. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is. And, and so, and obviously Bob isn't over his problems because we get to a point later where it's just like, he can't even like handle being alone for five minutes. But mm-hmm. so on the way back to the house, Dr. Marvin just kicks him out of the car and says, get out right in. And, and, and so, on the way home, he has a flat tire. He gets mud sprayed all over him, but he gets back to the house, and it's a surprise birthday party. Uh, but he looks like a disaster. His sister Lily is there. He's so happy to see his sister Lily. Unfortunately, Bob is right next to Lily, and he kind of goes crazy, and he does a swan dive from the top of the deck and tackles Bob. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, not pleasant, but Bob wants... I'm sorry, but Leo wants to... Uh, he says he wants to apologize. He sneaks out and he goes to the hardware store and he, to find murdering weapons. And <laughs> he specifically states uh, that he doesn't want to use a gun because that would be too messy. And he, there was another thing he was going to use, but he's like, it doesn't hurt enough. Uh-huh. And so he decides to go with like 20 pounds of black powder, which seems like would be painless and also incredibly messy. <laughs> it might but. be beyond messy. You know, yeah. it's like the, it might by messy. Maybe he means like no blood evidence or whatever. It'll be just like kind yeah. of that kind of incineration. Yeah. So anyway, he gets all that stuff and he kidnaps Bob and he takes him out to the woods and he ties him up with these bombs on him and he, you know, leaves him to die. And Bob thinks this is therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think Dr. Leo says, yes, this is death therapy. And, he, and but he says, like, the point of this is for you to die. And so <laughs> Leo's headed home. Having now murdered someone in his mind, he thinks he's murdered someone and he's so happy to see his family and they say, we got rid of Bob, we're sorry and and I I think things will be okay now. But then Bob comes down from the house and he is singing um, the Jolly Goodfellow song and Dr. Marvin's just going crazy and he's like, where did you put the sax around your neck? He's like, in the house, why? And then the house just explodes. And it should be mentioned that Dr. Marvin, although he legally bought the house on the lake, the Gutmans, who are a couple in town, had saved their entire life for that house, and they just got outbid by Dr. Marvin. Mm. So they've helped Bob a lot in this film. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, the house is gone, and it's the last straw for Dr. Marvin, who goes into a coma. But he wakes up from his coma just in time 
for Bob to marry his sister, Lily. <laughs> and as it turns out, I think Bob goes back to school, becomes a psychologist, and has a best-selling book called Death Therapy. And that's the movie. Which wow. Leo is suing. Suing for, for the, the rights. rights. Yes. <laughs> now, it should be mentioned, and I think, I've, John, you already know this, but like, um, I love this movie. I, I can kind of empathize with Dr. Marvin a bit. And my yes. dad, my dad hates this movie because <laughs> he can only see Dr. Marvin's point of view. <laughs> well, before we talk much more of this, I got to hear, because I saw this as a kid and I kind of have a re- different reaction to it now, probably yeah. the, not the reaction you might think, but it, it, it is different now. So I am curious, Mike, just some, mm. some specific questions for you. Yeah. Is Bob is Bob too annoying for the movie to work? And what did you think of as a first time watcher? Did you did you buy the whole situation? And did you have any problem maybe with like Leo being the only person to be annoyed by Bob? Uh-huh. So yeah, if I can go off on this a little bit, so yeah. I. And, and I know you have other questions for me, but I'll kind of take this as a launching and, and, and go and share some things. I was really curious to see this because people have told me for years, oh, you haven't seen What About Bob? You got to see What About Bob and, and you'll really like it. And and I didn't really love it. <laughs> like I, I, uh, I liked it. Okay. And I've been thinking a lot about it. Why didn't I really like this movie? I was kind of expecting to. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is, yeah, uh, the Bob Wiley, Bill Murray's character is, is he's plenty annoying. And I thought, I thought just, kind of a good amount of annoying i thought he played the role very well and was kind of endearing you know you're kind of rooting for him and and he's got lots of challenges and all these phobias but he's trying you know he's just the opening scene when he leaves his apartment i'm like hey what a what a gutsy guy you know he's he's really being proactive and trying his best and so there's something endearing about him and i i like how richard dreyfus plays dr leo marvin he just i thought captured that really well just very you know conceited and and uh and and just aloof from his family like so here's the thing i like if i can try and just jump right into i know you have more questions for me but i was trying to think why didn't i really love this movie i liked parts of it okay but but so i think this is it because i've been thinking about this so watching the movie not knowing really too much about it and just going into it for the first time like 20 minutes into the movie once you've kind of set the stage for everything if you ask me okay how how's this movie going to end like what's going to happen for the rest of the movie i would have kind of said oh yeah you know uh, uh they'll kind of help each other you know bob will help leo kind of lighten up and and connect with his family and and uh and then leo will still have a nice influence on bob help make progress and and they'll kind of you know forge this nice relationship and and there'll be a lot of funny scenes and and goofy things that happen but if you had told me 20 minutes in that later on in the movie uh dr leo marvin is going to try to kill uh bob and that uh and that then bob would marry marvin's sister and that leo marvin would basically lose his sanity and and be you know i said no that's that's not going to happen because and i think part of it like i know it's a comedy but i think part of it was that uh and I didn't know any of this background about the actors, but Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss, I think, do a great job with their characters. They're really good actors and 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 really own their parts. Like, they're really all invested in their parts. And so if you want this to be like a really silly, goofy movie, I can see that plot playing out where, yeah, it gets to this extreme. We're actually trying to kill him and 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 the doctor, the psychiatrist goes crazy. But um, that they were so good and I got so invested in the characters that that kind of descent into the absurd 
like didn't work for me. I thought, this is what's happening here. Why is he? He's actually trying to kill Bob. <laughs> That's yeah. a little extreme. Now, if this was Caddyshack, fine. But it was <laughs> it wasn't. It was like I was kind of, you know, having some sympathy for both characters. And and so it just got kind of weird for me. I'm like, what is going on here? And and so, so just that absurd yeah. the absurdity of how the plot played out um didn't I just didn't really work for me. I think I can agree with a, a whole lot of that because I, I, as I watch this again, and I think I watch this maybe once a year because my kids like it and we just put it on. But Richard Dreyfuss's character has a lot of flaws, but he's yeah. a, it's it's fixable stuff, yeah. right? Like he loves his family. Yeah, it's not that he doesn't love his family, but he's just he's a parent like any of us who are screwing our kids' lives up. <laughs> but we're trying to get better at it, right? Yeah. And so, like you said, like the plot, it would so make sense for this film, for the plot to be that Dr. Marvin, because of his experiences with Bob, mm-hmm. figures out how to relate better to his family. And then yeah. it just doesn't happen at all. Yeah. <laughs> he, he becomes a murderer, like you said, or at least an <laughs> attempted murderer. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when I saw this as a kid, and I feel slightly different now in a way that I didn't suppose, but... I was I was a lot like your dad, Roy, yeah. uh, because it made no it made zero sense to me that Richard Dreyfuss's family just loves having <laughs> just Bob around. Him. Yeah, because I couldn't. I mean, <laughs> like if I were in that room, I would not be able to handle being in that room. I'd have to leave. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, when <laughs> when when uh, he's going mm, to the corn, <laughs> and Richard Dreyfuss says, "Will you stop that?" I don't understand why. Everyone in the room doesn't say, "Will you stop that?" Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it, it's impossible for me to believe. Um, and so, like that's kind of that's always a big thing I've had with yeah. this. Like it doesn't make any sense that it's it's in this weird, crazy, crazy world where everyone yeah. and I can and it definitely contributes to Richard Drivers' insanity because it's yeah. not just, "Hey, Wait. I'm uh, this the most annoying person in the world won't leave me alone," but everyone <laughs> in my life has changed and has turned yeah. against me They're toward this guy. Yeah. Allegiance yeah. and loyalty is to him. Now, I see exactly what you're saying and I understand yeah. that point very well that cuz throughout the rest of the film other people are repelled by Bob, right? Like the people on the bus and everyone, like they're all fleeing from him. But then he arrives at the family home and he's just fully embraced and, and they just yes. love him so much. And that's, that. it's hard to kind of believe and understand because yeah. he is very annoying. And here's this, this other thing um, that I just had to mention. Uh, you were talking about how much things have changed in you know the last few decades. And But I think even back in 1991 when this was made, this was just, I just couldn't stop thinking about this. So here is this uh, man, this grown man who arrives at your vacation home. So he is a patient of your psychiatrist husband slash father, who he just barely met himself. And he just kind of arrives at your vacation home. And uh, let's have him sleep in the same room with our son. Uh, It's it's alarming, isn't it? There should be some fear there, like a healthy amount of fear. But this family has embraced Bob so much that when they finally get him to leave... Anna gives him a kiss on the mouth. Yes. Their yeah. daughter kisses Bob on the mouth. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, this old man. It, it, was, it was weird. Yeah, that was strange. Very, very bizarre. Now, here's the, here's the weird thing, though. Watching it now, I see a bunch of things that I didn't see as a kid, so I actually don't feel as extreme. I don't feel as old. I don't feel like as Richard Drivacy now. I think possibly <laughs> because, I mean, I maybe I relate to Bob more. I've become, um, I think it's very possible. 
and the past few years maybe contributed to this, but I've, I know I've become much more agoraphobic than I used to be, which I, I have discovered might be kind of annoying to the people around me. Um, and, uh, and I have a lot more, you know, I have a little bit more, you know, just kind of more of a phobic personality, I think, just kind of as I get older. So I think I relate to Bob a little bit more. And one thing I didn't see as a kid is just is the needs of the family. Um, yeah. You know, and it's yeah. funny that, you know, Richard Dreyfus he actually, his diagnosis is, you know, he needs more familial bonds. Yes. Yeah. Uh, In fact, like the quote family. was uh, extensive need for family connections. When he said that, I knew that was an important line because he right. recognizes what Bob needs and, and is not aware of, of, you know, his inability to really connect with his family as well as he should. And, and yeah. Bob kind of steps in and fills that void. Yeah. So this time around, it actually did make a lot more sense to me mm-hmm. that even though Bob is so annoying, it's just like, okay, they've had this need to have this kind of obnoxious, annoying kind of dad energy yeah. that they're not getting, like like fun yeah. dad energy yeah. that they're not getting yeah. from Richard Dreyfus. Kind of non-judgmental and just, yeah, just, and, and the scene when he's with the boy, like in that, I'm, the whole time I'm thinking, why are they letting him sleep with their son? But uh, that scene is great where the kid says, you ever think about death? And Bob's like, yeah, or you can all the time. <laughs> and so that just kind of helped him kind of work, you know, deal with that. Yeah, he helped that kid deal with it. and so but th- this movie has it has some moments that I just love and it has some mm-hmm. lines that I repeat in like in my daily vocabulary all the time. But um one of my favorites is just near the beginning and it's this isn't going to be in my awards, but when he's coming out of his apartment and he seems like he's doing okay and then the bus passes in front of him and then after the bus has passed he's just on his hands and knees on the ground. <laughs> He's just been overwhelmed all the way to the ground by the past. <laughs> uh, one oh. thing uh, that I just realized also, um, in this, th- this is me watching What About Bob and being like, why isn't everybody in the family thinking this guy is annoying? I'm reminded of the uh, Frank Grimes episode of Simpsons where <laughs> Frank Grimes to Homer is is questioning every single person in Springfield. This guy is going to kill many people <laughs> with with his incompetence i don't understand what's going on and he 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 devolves just like richard dreyfus <laughs> yes. frank grimes unravels yes yeah. loses his sanity yeah. <laughs> uh and uh spoiler for that episode it's a really great episode frank grimes dies because of <laughs> his unraveling Oh, I, I love at his funeral that the uh, is the pastor they refers to him as Grimy, as his friends like to call him. Like to call, Frank he, Grimes hated <laughs> being called Grimy. He hated Homer calling Grimy every time, <laughs> or as Grimy as his friends call him. <laughs> oh man, no, that's really great. Okay, um, a couple more points, a little uh, little research. Um, the character of Anna, she does look very young, and it's kind of funny. Mm. Um, she looks exactly like one of my friends in middle school, um, hmm. but. Uh, she's a girl, which is funny. Um, but uh, I, I think I was may have been in middle school when I saw this, so it's, it's uh, so it just seems like my middle school friend as a girl. So she seems very young, but she was twenty six at the time, a mere Holy like, cow. ten years younger than Julie oh. Haggerty, which also oh my means goodness. that Julie Haggerty must have been twenty six when she made Airplane, because this is ten years after <laughs> Airplane. So Julie Haggerty's only 36 in this film? I guess she's only 36. Wow. That's what the trivia said. I didn't research it. IMDb trivia, not very reliable. People yeah, just yeah. put whatever they want. But maybe that's not true. But that's what the trivia said. Are you 
astonished more that she is 36 or that Anna is 26. 26, wow. Anna looks like she's 14. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. It's like, you know, she Anna should have gotten more roles playing. Maybe she did. I don't know. I guess I didn't watch a lot of movies with like 14-year-olds in the thing, but it's like I think she, you know, she's that sweet spot where she's like this very young 26-year-old, like this short, tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, she, hey, play this young girl. Yeah. She Ralph Macchio'd this to death. Yeah. <laughs> uh okay let's see um i don't know you know mike i don't know if i have any other questions does anybody else have any questions nope there's lots of awards yeah for stuff yeah i I will say that that another thing that was kind of distracting for me is you were talking about um julie haggerty and and so playing the role of faye marvin and so that just kept distracting me because i kept kind of laughing about airplane scenes it just reminded me of of the movie airplane and so that uh I kept getting distracted from the movie because uh, just when I saw her, it brought back Airplane. It's the unfortunate <laughs> thing about Julie Haggerty, I'm sure. I wonder if Airplane <laughs> destroyed her career. In, not destroyed her career because she's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And I think she's um, – boy, this is a movie I'm not watching uh, for the first time, but a movie I've always wanted to see. I think it's called uh, Lost in America. Um, mm. It's an Albert Brooks movie where Albert Brooks is driving around with his wife, Julie Haggerty. Um, oh, wow. which could be really good. It's a, hmm. you know, kind of like uh we 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 enjoy Albert Brooks here. Although we've seen very yeah. few of his movies. We've only seen uh, <laughs> uh Defending Your Life. Uh, Defending, Defending Your Life. Life. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. That's yeah, it. It's, yeah. it's uh it's really good. You guys ever see Drive? Nope. Ryan Gosling movie? Nope. Uh he is Albert Brooks is this is the villain in Drive and he is frightening. It's crazy. Mm. So mm. uh check it out. Uh, let's do uh, if we don't have any questions um okay no i do have a question what is bob's job uh he teleworks right yeah so i'm i'm not sure he could theoretically be an author <laughs> he's he's busy working on death therapy yeah yeah and that would explain why he's able to just like write the death therapy book but maybe mm. he's just like a crazy author um, it's it's kind of hard to imagine. Like, who would buy the books from this guy who sees the world this way? <laughs> um, but maybe it's possible. But yeah, he does have his home office clock in little thing that he does, and he seems to work for himself. So yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. Okay, well, let's do taglines then. Uh, Roy, why don't let's start with you? Yeah, let's see. So one man is going crazy; the other is Bob. <laughs> that's good <laughs> mine is similar again i'm going with the question theme just kind of mocking the Notting hill uh uh tagline so uh let's see i have can a well-respected psychiatrist turn into a homicidal maniac in just a few hours yes <laughs> <laughs> okay uh i'm taking after you i'm i'm doing the question thing too uh hey what about dr marvin and oh, dr fenstenwald for that matter <laughs> And I do have oh, to say, I, d- I did appreciate the acting. Like I thought they did, they did a nice job. The the main actors in here, and there were a lot of great scenes. And and so I think this is the kind of film that would probably grow on me. And especially, you know, a lot of it has to do with when you see it, and and kind of the impact it has. So I had that kind of hang up that I explained, and and why I was trying to like, why didn't this really work for me? But I do appreciate the performances, and there were a lot of great lines and and funny scenes. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a movie that works best when you don't think too hard about it and just <laughs> yes. enjoy, just enjoy the jokes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's interesting though. I don't know. It might be you know a thing because I've 
I think I've liked What About Bob less than most people I grew up with. Um, and I think for the reasons I mentioned for, and for the reasons you mentioned. And mm-hmm. I liked it more now just because I kind of saw different – I related to it slightly yeah. differently. But it is kind of – it does work on a weird sort of anti-logic where I wouldn't expect anti-logic to be. Yeah. So yeah. – uh, I will just quickly say because this didn't make my awards, uh, I did think it was funny that the uh, the head of the institution said, "Well, you shouldn't have let him sleep in your pajamas, Leo." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was an honorable mention for me. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Okay, okay, cool. I should yeah. have said it then. I should have let you say it. That's no, no, I did. I didn't have a. I didn't have a clip for it. So you're okay. Good. <laughs> good. 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 All right. Well, let's uh, talk about Notting Hill Notting and Hill. the um, the crazy. Crazy odd pairing of Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, but is the is the odd couple Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts? Because Are you as opposed to Hugh Grant and, and uh, Reese Illies, yes, Reese Iffens, I think Iffens, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah no, the it, this works for me. I'm not disqualifying Notting Hill because it totally makes sense because they are the ultimate odd couple, like roommates, just like the odd couple. Right. So yeah, that yeah. salvaged it. it okay. Like, <laughs> well, but, but no, but I like it, right? Like the the I like the super ordinary guy and yeah. the world's most famous actress. It's a it's yeah. a. It's, I mean, it's, it, it kind of. I will say, I'll I'll just say before we really get into it. Um, uh, you know what? It, and it's a romantic movie. I don't know if it works so much on me because I think that's so much of the movie is just like, can mm. you believe this girl likes this guy? I'm yeah. like, well, where's the where's the romance like there's they do mm. like he does one kind of nice thing for her and yeah. she does this real weird impulsive thing i have yeah i have thoughts yeah have it, it's not it's that. not the most romantic thing for me anyway fine well let me um, am i good to jump in then go ahead because this was again it was fun to see it again it's been a while and i think i'd seen it two times as i mentioned before and and I know you both know this, but I remember the first time I watched it, I kind of realized, oh, I see there's a very much of a Roman holiday kind of thing going yes. on here. And then especially at the end, you know, with the the uh, the press conference and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so watching it this time, I was very much kind of on the lookout. Because like, I love Roman holiday. And I actually, when you were looking for Odd Couple movies, I was going to propose that one and then went back to your spreadsheet and saw that's one of the first ones you did, right? Like many years ago. Yeah, I love yeah. Roman Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. I love Roman Holiday. I think it's such a great film. And this is very much, you can tell, kind of influenced and inspired. It's kind of an homage to Roman Holiday in a lot of ways, right to the point where um, Anna Scott, Julia Roberts' character, it's it's Anna Scott. And in Roman Holiday, it's Princess Anne, right? So, um, so a nice little uh, kind of nod there to Audrey Hepburn. So, um, so you've got William Thacker, Will, Hugh Grant, a uh, divorced bookstore owner in the Notting Hill neighborhood of London. And this is back, I just have to point out, this is back when Hugh Grant was still charming. Uh, like, you know, he, this is pre some of the uh, scandals, you know, kind of the weird things that happened. And then I just, it's hard to not have this affect you. But uh, just like a few weeks ago, I saw just randomly some clip of him just being a real jerk to like a reporter. And it just kind of ruined it for me. So I had to just set that aside. Okay, here's Hugh Grant. And and he, he does a really nice job with this role. He's, you know, charming and and uh, just what you need him to be for this uh, this part. So he's just a regular English guy living in, in Notting Hill. Um, Julia Roberts plays Anna Scott, this world famous uh, actress. And um, and then Spike is one of the other main characters, the uh, scene stealing flatmate uh, of uh, of Will. Um, uh, so that's Spike. And then William's 
kind of, I, I put family in quotes, because uh, his close-knit, you know, kind of family, his friends, his uh, little sister, Honey, and then his friends, Bella and Max, uh, Tony, who owns a restaurant, and Bernie, um, who, again, that was just one of those weird things seeing it now. It's like, oh, there's Lord Grantham uh, from Downton Abbey. Yes. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Downton Abbey. Yes. Oh, I just yeah. knocked it out of my mind. Uh, how could you have two more different characters than Bernie yeah. in this film and, and Lord Grantham? Uh, so he came a long way uh, since Notting Hill. Uh, so that's kind of your... figured out that accounting thing or whatever. <laughs> right, and he's doing very well now. Yeah. Um, so... There's just this chance meeting where Anna Scott's in England filming a f- movie, and she just kind of wanders into the bookstore, and and you know there's a, a nice little kind of exchange there. Uh, Will obviously knows who she is, but he's he's not weird about it. That would get really old as a a, a famous person, I think. Right, having always being asked for your autograph and 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 just people kind of treating you weird so he just you know plays it cool and and gives her a space and and uh does his kind of you know hugh grant kind of charm um well they they just a, a little bit later in the same day uh they uh they they literally run into each other as as will accidentally spills orange juice on her and and so uh he he lives not too far away so he invites her to come to his flat and and you know, she can clean herself up and <laughs> just the line going in, you've got Spike again, this very eccentric uh, roommate there. <laughs> he just kind of mumbles under his breath as he's like, you know, there's my roommate. Uh, there's no excuse for him. <laughs> there's no excuse for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line. Um, so she gets cleaned up and, and again, they have just kind of these moments together. You can tell there's a little bit of, you know, a little bit of chemistry, a little spark there and, and she kisses him and then leaves. And, and that was you know very impulsive and, and I like uh, his line. She's how that exercising was, uh, her her power. It seems like <laughs> harassment to me. So actually, there's a huge power difference in, yeah. in this in this um, relationship, and and like that's part of it, right? And mm-hmm. so I mean, you're going to keep going with the thing, but mm-hmm. but so with John's point earlier, like it feels to me like if if one of us was not married or mm-hmm. with someone, and we just bumped into Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And she just decided to take an interest in us. It wouldn't even matter if you fell in love with her. Hmm. You're going to have a relationship with her because because that's what she wants. And like, what are you supposed to do with Scarlett (laughs) Johansson? You've got no choice here. So they have a date. And I want to believe that what we didn't see, we do see some nice moments. There's some Hmm. nice moments with the family. And I don't mean to steal this from you, Hmm. but it must be the stuff we don't see must be the most meaningful stuff Hmm. ever. And they actually fall in love or because I guess my big question is, does he really fall in love with her? I think he's supposed to. But do you even have a choice? Yeah, right. That's an interesting question, right? You're almost again, it's almost like an obligation. Well, she's everyone's in love with her. So if she's showing any interest in me, then of course, I have to reciprocate that. Um, But I think I think. You know, his feelings are genuine. You kind of get the sense as the movie yeah. goes on. Is is he's you know keeps dating other women, but he's just you know very much hung up on her and knows that they had that connection. It was something real, and and that's where again I like that um, the Roman Holiday thing because, like you said, that scene. I'll get to that scene here in just a second, but um, but you just get the sense that Julia Roberts' character is just really enjoying this opportunity to just be real and authentic and and not be in the limelight and not have to to uh and not have her handlers around here kind of controlling everything and and so she just yearns for that authenticity something that's real and to not um, have to be with alec baldwin <laughs> yeah so i'll get to that um so so let's see um so and she kisses him and then leaves and and he the line that was kind of surreal but nice i kind of like that and then it turns out that you know he thinks i'll probably never see her again he's hoping he will 
but uh, it turns out that she had contacted him and left a message. But of course, he doesn't get it from his roommate until several days later. Uh, and and she explained how to contact her at the hotel. And I, I like that. Go ahead. I, I love Spike. He's like, <laughs> yeah. am I your secretary? Am I supposed to be taking all your messages now? <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm, supposed to, I, I'm supposed to write down all the messages. I think it's funny. <laughs> but no, this. I just realized this. Sorry, I just have to interrupt because I just realized this. Do you guys remember there was a big thing because it, it was Julia Roberts and it was in – and maybe it was after this. No, it couldn't have been after this. This movie is 1999. It was before this movie. Um, she made an appearance on David Letterman. And uh, and David Letterman like said something like, um, you know, how were the Golden Globes? You know, did you have a fun time? And she says, you know, did you not get my call or something? It's like, what are you what are you talking about? And she's like, I, I, I called you because I wanted you to accompany me to the Golden Globes, but you never called me back. <laughs> and and he's and David Letterman's like, I never. I never received that message or something like that. And maybe that was a bit they did on the show because oh, it just, maybe. it seemed kind of absurd. Be- I remember at the time it was kind of played as like, no, this is an actual thing. Julia Roberts asked out David Letterman and he never yeah. received the message. Yeah, maybe it was like related to this about the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I think for context, we have to also remember that Julia Roberts isn't just one of those famous romantic comedy actresses, but at this time, when was this like 1992? Mm-hmm. No, this 92. is like 99, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. 99 99 okay but she's huge and so there's a joke that she makes that she gets paid 15 million dollars per movie Mm -hmm. do you want to know what her her pay was for notting hill was it 15 million dollars it was 15 million dollars okay okay Uh, i heard kind of conflicting things about that like because like when she was doing the lines for this i think she said like the original line was like a hundred thousand dollars or something. And she's like, no, no, I want to be more honest about this. But then I also heard that she actually kept upping it so that like actresses would get like, she kept upping it to higher than it was supposed to be so that actresses would be expected yeah. to get that much money oh. because actresses still yeah. weren't paid as much as actors. You know. So I, I think the point that though that I'm trying to make is and if, if watching this today, looking back, it's whatever, but at this time in her career, yeah. Like she's huge. Yeah, she was that person. Yeah, yeah she's. Yeah. yeah. And, did and she know she was in a movie? Do you think, or is this like a documentary? <laughs> just someone with just her. Her. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just capture that. Um, and I will say this about Julia Roberts. It's interesting again seeing movies later, like years later, and and just how you have different kind of responses and reactions. And my memory had always been from the first two times I saw it years ago is I was not very impressed with Julia Roberts. And maybe it was because she was at the height of her stardom and everyone was just going on and on about what an incredible performance it was. And I didn't really like her performance, but I did this time, like this time I just had much more appreciation for her acting. I I thought she did a really nice job in this film. So, um, she, she had, when she was, when she said lines very softly, mm. it was intensely cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, and I did, just speaking of lines, I just like the line when he does get through to her at the Ritz Hotel on the phone, and we're just hearing the one side of the conversation, but he said, no, no, I never play it cool. Because <laughs> she's assuming that, you know, he's just waiting a few days, and, and yeah. he just, of course, just barely got the number. Um, so he gets over there and, and then there happens to be like a, a whole press junket thing going on. So he's just kind of thrown in there, assuming he's someone. And, and that's when he, he just sees the, the magazine horse and hound. And so that he's <laughs> pretends to be a reporter for that. And, and there's some funny scenes, uh, there. 
Um, but I think that's important, that scene, because you get a sense of how isolated Anna is, how controlled her life is, how little privacy she has. And again, that goes back to Roman Holiday and and this how happy Audrey Hepburn is to be away just for a few hours and, and to be away from that very controlled life that she lives. Um, so we see, again, how controlled she is, how confined she is, and, and living this very public life. Um, so she asks him on a date. And, and he's kind of embarrassed to say, well, it's a sister's birthday party. <laughs> and she's like, that's great. And, and so they go and spend time with Will and his sister and their friends. And of course, you can tell how much Anna loves this. She's loving every minute of this because it's just, again, real and genuine and authentic. Uh, later on that night, they they jump a fence and go into this little private neighborhood park. <laughs> Another just funny line is, is Hugh Grant's trying to climb up, but he falls and says, whoopsie-daisies. <laughs> she just thought that's the funniest thing. Um, so they kiss again in the park. And, uh, and then um, I think it's the next day. They're maybe on a date the next night, I believe, and they overhear some people in the restaurant talking about her in a very disparaging way. And again, that gives us a sense of kind of the world she lives in where she's just, uh, uh, you know, objectified. And, and, um, and so I think that's kind of an important scene to set the stage. Yeah. Um, she, so Anna invites her to a room and, uh, and, and, you know, their, their, their relationship is just really progressing and, and, and accelerating. So she invites him to her hotel room and, and he knocks on the door and then, Alec Baldwin. And that was, again, I hadn't seen this for a while. And I was, I was as surprised as Will when I saw Alec Baldwin open the door. I'm like, what? What's Alec Baldwin doing here? <laughs> so he's, so he's her, her uh, American boyfriend and he's there. And of course that's shatters Will to learn that she has a boyfriend and, and now he's there and, and, uh, and, and he's assumed to be, you know, a, a, a hotel employee. And so of course he's crushed and, and leaves and, and for a few months uh, now, we just see that, you know, he's trying to go on with his life and he's dating different people, but he, he's still obviously feels this connection uh, to Anna, but, but she's, she's gone. That's just, you know, never, uh, it was just kind of that weird little fluke and, and it uh, won't happen again. But then out of the blue, uh, Anna appears on his doorstep and uh, she's back in England and, and there's the scandal that's broke of some compromising pictures that were taken of her earlier and all the tabloids have it. And, and she just needs a place to kind of get away and, and hide out. And, and, and she, she came to him and, and I like that scene. I like that, um, that day they spend together. Will's very much a gentleman again. You can tell he still likes her, but he's not, um, you know, pushy or anything. He, he volunteers to help her read her lines and, and she just has this kind of carefree day. They learn about more things they have in common and, and uh, they have a really nice time together. They spend the night together, uh, in the morning, again, it's a very pleasant morning. And, uh, Spike has a great line before that might come up later about like, you know, what are you doing here if she's here? But they, they end up, uh, uh, spending the night together. And then in the morning, uh, a really great line where she says, mind if I stay a while? And he says, stay forever. Um, okay. Before the world turns upside down, yeah. I want to mention that when they were going over her lines mm. for the submarine movie, which I'll ask this question now, does she win an Oscar for the submarine movie? Cause it sounded awful. <laughs> I, was it that movie or was it the, the space one? I, I, I can't remember if it, the space one was the one she had already done. Yeah. And then she was working towards the submarine movie. So maybe oh, I I don't know. But so my, my point is, is that he said, well, it's not Henry James. but yeah. And so there's this whole thing with Henry James in this movie. And I learned why Henry James is important. Because Henry James novels tend to be about Americans who have 
um, romantic oh. entanglements with Europeans. Oh, interesting. Oh. I did. I also I, I looked him up too because I kind of you can tell from the context kind of what type of film it's referring to. But then I saw that yeah he was like born in the United States, but he was English himself, and so I didn't know that about the the plots of his books. That yeah. that's kind of uh, one of the things. So very. I, interesting. I did think I thought it was a very pretentious thing of the movie to keep saying. It, like I don't know the line. It's no Henry James. I'm like, you know, <laughs> it, it it seemed like the like it, it may as well have been. It's no Merchant Ivory. You know, it's no. Um, I, I always I always like kind of get disappointed when it's like, okay, no, this isn't important because it's not a period British piece right. where people are in the chamber <laughs> speaking about you know the atrocities of society or something like that yeah yeah well i think he was just comparing levels of writing because the lines that she was reading were terrible Mm, right and what she say like no one's ever won an oscar saying like fbi red level seven or whatever right but she won an actress oscar she did she got an actress oscar so yeah because i was gonna say maybe the submarine movie is like a you know like an avatar kind of situation where I mean, maybe it's like, I guess Titanic was like this. Titanic was on a boat. Yeah. Well, I'll say because the Helix movie looks terrible. And then the movie, the other movie he saw of her where she was at the black and white one, that one looked awful. Mm. Helix looked yeah. pretty good to me. I think maybe. It I'm, so much slow motion. I'm, I'm judging it on her really cool Bob haircut. Her Bob haircut yeah. <laughs> that, that perfectly fits the space helmet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they put nice. the space helmet on and then they cut her hair. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, Sorry, Mike. No, 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 you're good. So that's they have that tender moment, and then of course uh, it, it all just falls apart because the paparazzi are there outside the door. A spike <laughs> mentioned to a few people, and I, and very very innocently, like he didn't intend for that to happen. But yeah, he, he mentioned the, at the pub. Up. I have to talk about this part because uh-huh. this was the most aggravating part of the whole movie yeah. for me. Because oh, can I guess? Go ahead, guess. Why does she answer the door in her underwear? <laughs> right. I yeah. no. It, it is that moment. I am not blaming her for this. I Hugh Grant opens the door, sees the paparazzi there, and gasps, shuts the door. Mm. Ten seconds later, Julia yes. Roberts say, "Why did you shut the door so fast?" And she walks past Hugh Grant, and Hugh Grant says, "Well, I, I say, I, but, but you, it would be in my, <laughs> your best interest if you it, maybe don't open the if, if you do that." Uh, and then she opens the door. <laughs> Yes, he could have. Yeah, he doesn't her, yeah. try very hard to stop yeah, her. Yeah. He Hugh grants her, like he he box the pitch, right? He Hugh grants her into a massive scandal. A massive yeah. scandal, yeah, because he just couldn't spit it out. He couldn't. Uh, yes, that was very uh, good. Uh, job. Uh, very I have good to continue right. being charming. I, uh, you know, I, I I can't play it cool at, at this juncture of opening the door at this time, at this place here in Notting Hill. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So, so now this huge scandal, and and this always this is one of the more memorable parts of the movie because I'd always I always remembered this part, and maybe this is why I I didn't really like Julia Roberts before because she's so mean to him. She's so mean. She just mm-hmm. turns immediately from that tender scene they're having to just letting him have it. And and you know I appreciate more this time. You know that's her life. She's got all these stresses yeah. and. And she had this little bit of kind of peace, and now it's gone. And and so you can kind of understand her anger, but she's just so mean to him. And and some really, you know, tough lines. I, I think uh, comes up in awards later. Um, but she just really treats Will horribly. And and um, so you know, she's gone again. Her 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 handler comes and takes her away. And and now seasons pass. Like it's it's again months pass. 
uh, probably a year because I think he actually kind of takes us through the four seasons. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's an it's an honorable mention for me, and so I'll just get it out of the way now. But yeah, him walking along yeah. Portobello Road with the change of seasons—that's pretty cool scene. Yeah, that's one of my that's one of my awards as well for special effects. So you see the seasons pass, and and uh, um, Honey breaks up with some guy during those one of those. Seasons. Yeah, and she mentions that you know she always falls for the like the mean guys or something, and, and here's another guy who's treating her poorly, and and so I'm glad there's a happy ending for uh, for Honey and Spike uh, later on. <sighs> Uh, You're not okay with that. I'm not okay. Not okay. Spike is not a good guy. Uh, he's it, it's it's just as absurd as is you know Doctor Melvin's Lily? sister with Bob. It, it's it's and in the way she does it, the way she like just kind of says, "I decided to get engaged." By the way, it's you, and it I get I kind of get the sense that's the first time she's spoken to Spike. I think mm. both of them are insane. <laughs> <laughs> so they're perfect for each other. Well, yeah. we'll we'll talk about that again later. Okay. He so. says groovy. No, he's but he's nice. Like he's he's harmless. He's weird. Well, maybe not harmless. <laughs> he <laughs> he's, caused he's a major scandal. Yeah. <laughs> and his choice of t-shirts isn't always the best necessarily. It, it's, the I, I know he means well and he's nice, but the thing is, yeah. Hugh Grant's character like openly hates him. Yes. <laughs> and, and he's going to marry his sister. And, and is, yeah, yeah this... and, and and he's going to be so yeah. Hugh Grant, this is going to become like Hugh Grant's going to wind up in like the like in a in an insanity coma. Like it's like what Doctor, about Bob? Yeah, yeah, like in what about Bob? I did not realize that connection until I yep, that's yeah. exactly the same story. Yeah, but but um, and also, but the thing is, Hugh Grant is the nicest person in Notting Hill. Yeah, and uh, and he still openly loathes this guy, so that's got to say something. <laughs> so, um, so seasons pass, and at dinner with his friends, uh, they just mentioned him. Oh, Anna's back in London and making a film, and and uh, Henry James uh, piece, and uh, and and he decides to wander over there to the set. You know, no guarantee he's going to see her, but she sees him and invites him back, and and there you can tell they're you know they're 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 happy to see each other and. Um, but then on like the hot mic, he's listening in and, and she completely disses him to her co-star and, and you just see Will's kind of heartbreak again and realize oh, I really don't mean anything to her. So he leaves uh, without further contact, but she shows up the next day at his bookshop with the wrapped gift, the, the, which ends up being that significant painting that they had in common, but the original, uh, Will tells her, you know, what he overheard. And so just kind of assumed that he understood his, her feelings for him, but but she explains she's not going to, you know, share her private life with such an indiscreet co-star. And then she, in a great scene, and this, and again, this is probably the most famous scene from the movie, yeah. and some of the more famous lines. And it really did work for me again. I watching it, I thought that's a good scene. She did a really nice job. Is she, you know, that famous line, uh, you know, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love me, and and it's good. And again, that's where I just thought that was she did a good job with that. That was really good. Yeah. And um, importantly, okay. she apologizes for her past yes. behavior. Yep, yep. So she's very vulnerable. You know, she's she's uh, uh, really sincere and genuine. Uh, but of course, he's um, you know just afraid of being hurt again, and, and he's been hurt so many times, and so he just turns her down. And then another great scene. Of course, he's meeting with his friends at the restaurant. They he's opened the gift. He's he's explained what happened, and they're trying to be supportive in kind of a half-hearted way like yeah you know you did the right thing sure sure and then spike arrives and of course tells him what an idiot he was uh, for doing that <laughs> and he will comes to realize yeah i made a big mistake and then another oh, great scene oh go ahead yeah. yeah her gift by the way is an original, original. painting yeah 
Yeah, and she noticed he had that in his apartment, right? Like a yeah, like a, that, does know, it cost more than fifteen million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe that painting may be worth fifteen million dollars. Okay, because so. if it's any less than fifteen million dollars, I'm not impressed. It wasn't really heartfelt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. she had the money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so Will realizes a mistake, and then another great scene, and I really like that scene where they're just racing across London, trying to get in time to the press conference before she leaves. And uh, and at the press conference, and this is very much Roman Holiday, very right? Very much, yeah. I love that scene from Roman Holiday at the end of the press conference. It's so good. And unlike Roman Holiday, where, again, a great scene, kind of more like La La Land, where it's just a very kind of you know sad, bittersweet ending where Gregory Peck's just walking away by himself. They'll never see each other again. They're going to end up together. But he uses the opportunity to, again, use his uh, press credentials for Horse and Hound uh, to get in there. Now, she had been asked just earlier, uh, you know, what are your plans now? And, and she said, you know, she's taking a year off and she's leaving Britain, like, you know, just in a few hours. And, uh, and of course, he appears and asks his questions as, and, uh, um, as the reporter. And, and, you know, it's, and someone asked her, about this guy that you know there were pictures of her with this british guy from like a year before and and um and uh you know she just said you know that was that they're just friends uh and so he asked her if if she would consider being more than friends and and he acknowledges how dumb he was and kind of begs her forgiveness and and she says she would and then she she's uh Ask the reporter to ask the question again. How long do you plan to stay in England? And she says indefinitely. And uh, a great little line there. But again, just going back to Roman Holiday, um, I love that scene in Roman Holiday where she's being asked, you know, her favorite places on her little European tour that she's doing, and she begins to answer the way she's been coached and taught. You know, every place in its own way was. But then she sees Gregory Peck and says, "Rome, by all means, Rome." I, it's just so great. So sorry to bring in Roman Holiday, oh, yeah. but you can tell that the the makers of this movie love and appreciate that movie as well so yeah. so a great little scene at the end and then it ends we we just see them we they marry and and he's accompanying her to a red carpet event and and then we see them back in the park and 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 she's pregnant and and it's nice it's sweet so yeah. and they, they this have podcast. one of those nice places that surrounds the park so they can have yeah. that yeah. bench that and they sat at yeah the bench where they're both going to die and their names will be on <laughs> yeah. that bench but so i I, I love Roman Holiday, and I feel like this podcast could use another round of Audrey yeah. Hepburn films, but uh, mm-hmm. what can you do? So so the the fascinating thing about this film, because I watched this movie, and after I finished it, um, I think the same as you, Mike, I was I was really, actually, really impressed. Yeah. And yeah. it turns out that, like, this, the writer who wrote for this is, uh, uh, I mean, he's done a lot of stuff, uh, including Love Actually, which I kind of hate, if I'm being honest. But also, he did Four Weddings and a Funeral, and he did Bridget Jones's Diary. So, like, this is uh, a really good writer. And the yeah. writing in this film is really good writing. And I thought, this is maybe one of the best 90s rom-coms. And I kind of... So, was I it Hugh Grant? And- did he write all of those? Because he's in all of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, I, I kind of just on a whim Googled, like, best 90s rom-coms, and I, I figured Notting Hill would be, like, in the mix, right? Yeah. But Notting Hill is near or at the top of every, almost oh, every yeah. list. Yeah, and I get it. Yeah, I get it. I, I did. I appreciated it. I enjoyed it very much watching it and, and appreciated the film itself. It's just a well-made film, well-acted, well-written. Love and the it, soundtrack. It, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, Notting so, Hill. Notting Hill. Uh, very nice. Okay. Um, I, uh, it is 
technically a romantic movie. I uh, do acknowledge that. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, let's see. I'm looking for my question marks. I don't see any question marks on my thing. Yeah, okay. I asked all my questions. Did you? Okay. Yeah. I had one little one. It was okay. just a kind of a dumb one. But it, it, when the, when he goes to the the film, the shooting of the Henry James film, and everyone's just kind of mulling around, it's between takes, right? So they're not filming. But it just sure looked like all the extras in the film were still acting for this movie. <laughs> I just it's kind of weird. <laughs> like they're they should just be milling around. But I, I anyway, I just thought they're 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 acting for this film, which we're not supposed to be. Uh-huh. They're not supposed to be doing that. Anyway. <laughs> their method, their method act. Yes, they were just totally in character. They couldn't leave yeah. the character. Um, I did have I did write this down. Uh, don't answer this, I guess. Uh, I think at one point Spike comes in, and uh, he says something vulgar. He says, "I have a story that will make your you know, uh, yep. you you shrink the size of raisins." Um, but he never tells the story. Uh, so I'm wondering, like, in all the events that happen in this movie, what could possibly be so interesting that he would say that? <laughs> He also uh, uh, knew a girl named Pandora once. Um, but so one of my favorite lines from him, though, is when like, he says, I had no clean clothes. And, <laughs> and he's like, well, and you never will unless you wash them. And he said, yes, uh, vicious cycle. Vicious right? cycle. <laughs> cycle. Like that's what he, that's Spike's definition of a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's the victim of the, of the clothes washing dilemma. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see here. Um, in Washington, Rufus, yeah, let's do taglines. Go ahead, go ahead, Mike. At mine, and, and sorry again, I've I've belabored this, but I, for my tagline, I put: Can a movie have a more annoying tagline than "Can the most famous film star in the world far, <laughs> fall for the man on the street"? I just thought that was an annoying tagline. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, here's mine. And remember, he's just a boy standing front of, in front of the press with nice firm buttocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, mine is. I'm just a tagline, standing in front of you, the reader, asking you to see this movie. Because we owe Julia <laughs> Roberts fifteen million dollars. <laughs> we, we we make fun of that line, and it's yeah. like it's overplayed. But that line is an incredible it's line, great, and she delivers it very well. Yeah, yep. it's yep. it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, we. That's that's like the tenth mention of that line, huh? <laughs> yep. It's a tingles. It's a tingles moment line. Anyway. And then when it's not going to show up in my awards, huh? When he's sharing it with his friends and they all react, they're like, oh, like, wow, oh. you really blew it. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. It's like, okay, there's this great famous movie line and they're able to actually talk about the line in the movie. Like, what yeah. do you think of this line? <laughs> yeah. it's, he's focus grouping the line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's do commercial break, I think. Yeah, it's about time. Okay, uh, so anyway, you're listening to Yours, Mine, and Theirs. Go ahead and hear us. If Well, you're hearing us already, so I don't know how you're hearing us. So go to iTunes and hear us. Go to Apple Podcasts and hear us. Go to Spotify and hear us. Mike, did you tell all your friends to listen on Spotify? Absolutely. Okay, yep. oh, cool. Wow, yeah, we'll check, the, we'll check the results of that advertising later. Yeah, I, I don't have any friends, though, but I did tell them all. <laughs> <laughs> you make it an assignment? Yeah, you can. I, that's what I should do. Yeah, I'll have all my students say, if you want to pass this class, you listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you did a good job. You had a lot of listeners. But keep going, John. Okay, no, we'll check. The, yeah, we'll check out. We'll see how this one, let's see how community service goes. Maybe we should make it a rule that the community service one is the one that has to... Has to, mm. I don't know. That's uh, do <laughs> whatever. Okay, uh, send us an email. Yours, mine, theirs, podcast at gmail.com. We will read that email, maybe. 
go ahead and don't call us because our numbers have been disconnected. Uh, go ahead and go to the blog, yours, mine, theirs, podcast dot blogspot.com uh, that's I'm a little behind in the links but we're getting there you can go ahead and download all the past ones um, and go ahead and go to Facebook and do the uh, you just find us there and that way you can participate in the polls you can uh, vote on the movies you can do all that stuff some bonus stuff you can do is go to the, our Zazzle store zazzle.com slash store slash Rex I might change that URL we'll see if we can work that in. Uh, but you can buy I think right now you can buy yours, mine, and theirs t-shirt uh, mm-hmm. which should be pretty fun and you can buy uh, playing cards and coasters and uh, if you click on my name you might be able to buy some other stuff on that's not on the store that won't go on the store for some dumb reason. Anyway, complain <laughs> about Zazzle. Uh, and also please do not forget about our Patreon, ours, ours, ours uh, where we get money from you, and not very much money from you, so don't worry about it. Uh, but we have our outtakes library, which is lots of fun and very zen-like. And there, but there's not going to be any outtakes from this episode because you're not editing. I'm not anything. editing this episode right. <laughs> like, like I have the other because I have to catch a plane in like three three hours. Uh, so yeah, so I'm not editing this episode so much. That's why there are way more ums in this episode. Uh, just so everybody knows, if you've been listening um, this far. You got a great sneeze in there too from, I think it was you, John. I think yeah. I did sneeze. We'll see if that's mm-hmm. in or not. Uh, I might keep it's it in because be in. I just mentioned it. Oh, well. Um, okay, and so, uh, but also on the R's, 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 we have um, we have um, me reading from books and I think I think I recently uploaded the movie game where I asked Roy if he's ever heard Ooh. of this movie, and he says no, but this is what I think the movie should be about, and it's a lot of fun. So, um, <laughs> yeah. That's worth a buck right there, or five. It's it's worth a buck or five, exactly. Yep. Um, <laughs> Either way. Some things on the docket is, uh, we haven't done it yet, but uh, the Katie report, where I talked to uh-huh. Katie about all the stuff I forgot to talk about on individual podcasts, and she reminds me. We're probably going to record a few of those, um, and uh, and she has her reports on on uh, you know listening and uh, and the insights that we neglected. So she always has that. We're planning on doing that. We haven't done one. She yet, has notes for you. She does she have notes. She actually took notes. Yes. Do you, you guys, Mike? Have you seen Waiting for Guffman? Uh, I don't think I've seen that. Oh, man. Uh, Fred Willard and Catherine O'Hara are married, Uh, and they're both like amateur actors, and she mentions that he always has notes for her. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Well, man, go see Waiting for Government. That's Waiting for Government. I've heard of it. I would like that. Okay. It's really good. Uh, I think that is our uh, ID and commercial information. I think that's it. You ready for awards? Yeah, let's do it. Okie dokie. Let's start with best title. Uh, Mike, what would you say is the best title? Yeah, my winner there is Midnight Run. That, that works for me. It's a great title. Even though it's it's a mistake of a title. It doesn't make sense. For me. <laughs> yeah, this movie's not like about a Midnight Run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roy, what do you think? Well, I love questions. So <laughs> <laughs> let's go with What About Bob? So <laughs> Yeah, I didn't like What About Bob as a title. Uh, I actually went with Midnight Run because it has midnight in it and it sounds cool. Yeah. Even though... It sounds hot. Yeah, yeah, even though it doesn't make sense. I think it's it's, you know... I like to call it, even though it's not an accurate title, it's an ironic title. You think it's going to be a midnight <laughs> run, but it takes a bunch of days. They have to stay in place. Yeah, they smell right. bad. <laughs> Midnight's run. <laughs> okay, you know what? And Oh, I have an honorable mention. Oh, honorable. Okay. Scott of Pantarctica. 
That's a pretty good title. <laughs> Scott of Pantargon. What was that, that the from? newspapers? That was a tablet? That's the salacious article they yeah. wrote about her nude photo. Oh, Scott of Pantartica. Yeah, Scott of Pantartica. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, I'm going to skip around just a little bit. Because um, this sure. makes sense. Let's do... We just did title, so let's do titular line. That makes sense, right? Uh, let's do it that okay. way. Okay. I hope you don't mess up how I loaded up these audio files, but go probably, ahead. Probably... Yeah, probably not. Um, uh, Roy, why don't, you, why don't you give your titular line? Yeah, let's go for it. Where's By the way, all these movies had it. I was going to say yeah, that. They all did. They, they, we should get an award. This this is this is the first time that's ever happened. All of these movies had the titular line. That never yeah. happens. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Mike, did you pick not What About Bob in a different one? I picked Midnight Run. And and again, I noticed that there were titular lines in each of them and uh but I thought that one just it worked well again, just yeah, just casually mentioning the Midnight Run he had to do. It it was hard to strip that one because of like mm-hmm. he said Midnight Run but it was nested within 17 F-words. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's cool. you don't have to play it. Good. Well, um I my honorable mention is I'm from Notting Hill and you're from uh-huh. Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah, is not my pick, but I do have my winner loaded up. I'll do it for 100,000. 100,000? Are you out of your mind? This is an easy gig. It's a midnight run for. <laughs> <laughs> it's a midnight run for. <laughs> well, there, there it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, poster, please, Roy. Sure. My favorite poster is What About Bob? You know, they're shaking hands, but the cartoon is of them <laughs> going crazy. Yeah. You're that's good. that's mine too, uh, but I I'm on record. I hate all of these posters. So <laughs> I, I don't like the individual posters, but I love how white they all are as like as a banner of combined posters. I kind of oh, it works yeah. as a combined banner. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, interesting. Okay, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I actually went with Midnight Run for this, and and it's a very again you look at the poster and it's just you know Robert De Niro and and. Roden, uh, was very small, but <laughs> but what made me choose this is just reading the words on here. Uh, Monday, escape with their lives from New York. Yeah. Tuesday, impersonate FBI agents in Chicago. Wednesday, still playing in New Mexico. Thursday, almost kill each other by accident. Friday, almost kill each other on purpose. Yeah, I saw that <laughs> too. Cool. I almost used that as my summary of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's no, that's perfect. Um, okay, uh, I, I will. Ju- I want to go on record. I don't like the Notting Hill poster mm. because it's just a big giant Julia Roberts head yeah. and yeah. Hugh Grant is walking <laughs> awkwardly looking at us too <laughs> stop looking at my girl is that yeah yeah and there's the annoying uh, tagline there right there too that I yeah. can't get over <laughs> yes well uh, I'll just I'm just gonna go ahead and say my honorable mention is the tagline you mentioned the Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna go with um, for my tagline mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with midnight run which is yeah. a tough bounty hunter, a sensitive criminal. <laughs> That's oh, my tagline, except I went ahead and included Robert De Niro, a tough bounty hunter, Charles Grodin. Oh, that's good. Criminal. Yeah, good to yeah. put those in. No, see, I also went with Midnight Run, but I, I guess I missed the tagline because underneath Midnight Run in the poster, it says this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And, and so I thought that was the tagline. So I went with that. So it won all around. Right. It, it, it had three taglines on the poster, I think. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. No wonder it did. It was so successful at the box office. I don't know if it was. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Roy, did you did you do the box office success? Do you usually do that at the end? You do that at the end, don't you? Uh, I can do it whenever you want. I usually do it right before we rank the film. Let's just do it then. Okay. Best opening credits, Roy. Okay, for me, it's what about Bob? It's the goldfish just floating around in its bowl during that the credits. That confused and, I, and frightened me. I kind of like music, <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah. no way that goldfish survived the events of What About Bob, especially <laughs> when he throws him into the pitcher of ice water. Right. Ooh. Right. Right. I, I wonder yeah, if that's like rough. one thing that helped Bob overcome is just like, okay, whatever. I killed my goldfish. Yeah. So. But so like a goldfish can is it's re, it's restricted by its cage, right? But it, but it can grow if it has a bigger environment. And so Bob grows, and and Doctor Marvin is caged. I don't know. That was a really rough metaphor, yeah, and it probably had nothing to do with the opening credits. But I I liked it. It was interesting. That could be yeah. true. That could be true. Yeah, it's that probably could be good. it's definitely true. Uh, opening credits, Mike. Yeah. So I always like with all these movies, I'll like watch the movies and then take notes and then realize, oh, that's one of the awards. I didn't pay that close attention. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I think I liked Notting Hill. Just kind of opening up. You kind of it opens. You kind of, if I remember right, you're kind of getting a sense of how big a star yes. Anna is, right? So yeah. Yes. Which was that necessary? Couldn't they have just like said, "This is Julia Roberts. She's playing Julia Roberts." <laughs> yeah. It, it would you be great it. if they just like had all these like entertainment weekly reporter uh, like entertainment tonight reporters just like doing a real life julia roberts thing but then they dub yeah. in her name like Anna <laughs> right. yeah right. do you wish her character's name had been julia roberts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> may as well then uh okay my opening credits i went with because notting hill is really good and i almost picked that i just went with midnight run me as well so yeah. full may swath well. here and it's pretty much uh 80 sitcom starting kind of thing. Yeah. And the music yeah. pumps in and I'll talk a lot more about the music later. We didn't talk too much about the music, but I find the music very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of a uh, lot of horns. Um mm-hmm. and you know which is oh, yeah. which is kind of weird because you don't think of I mean you don't think of horns so much in a Danny Elfman score, but you do think of horns a lot in a Danny Elfman band. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you usually I feel like I can pick out a Danny Elfman score. If I didn't know this was Danny Elfman, I never would have guessed. It was it was crazy, but I have some I promise you I have something that will blow your mind when okay. we get to uh when we talk about music more. Okay, uh Mike, the technology, please. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you both have the same one because I was just mesmerized by uh, Robert De Niro's little contraption yes. to record the phone conversation. And then this was like 1988, like, wow. And then he he's now into their system, can listen to their phone calls. So, yeah, that was good tech. Yeah, the portable bug machine, whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, does that thing even have a name? I don't know. It's like because he has – he walkie-talkies <laughs> into the phone booth. And he does something there, and, and then it records the, like oh. the following call, and it's got a recorder yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah, that's mine. That's mine. Yeah, nice. it's mine too. My honorable mention is car door. Car door as weapon tech. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Mike, best name, please. Yeah, uh, my honorable mention is Alonzo Mosley, just because that's just kind of a fun <laughs> running joke. Is he's Alon- everyone knows Alonzo Mosley by the end of the show across the country uh, <laughs> because he's uh, made so many appearances uh, in different forms. But I went with Jimmy Serrano. That just sounds like a good gangster name, Jimmy Serrano. Okay, uh, Roy. Yeah, honorable mention to Floppy. <laughs> also, when I, when I'm talking about Notting Hill, I I don't know which of the words are British uh, sexual references or swear words, so I'm always nervous. But anyway, 
Um, but my real winner is Jonathan Mandukas. I like that. That was one of my honorable mentions. I really like Jonathan in there. Mandukas, it sounds like he's going to be this really imposing figure, Mandukas, yeah. but it's just, it's Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin. Which, which <laughs> but he is, it's kind of funny. Charles Grodin, you don't think of him as menacing. When you look at the two of them together, he is yeah. much larger. He's like a much larger man than Robert De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. he's overpowering with his persistence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that surprised me seeing them together because Robert De Niro's kind of small. Yeah, yeah. It, it's he's, weird. Yeah. Like it's, it's because he has that big square head that you think he's <laughs> this big powerful person. But if we were to meet Robert De Niro in real life, I assume he's just going to be this tiny little guy, and it's going to be strange. Uh, okay, mine is uh, okay. Honorable mention to Hopalong Capadice. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I think he, I think he was one of the. Uh, like Hitman, Hopalong Capadice. One of those Hitmen was basically Buster Bluth, and I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's you would think that Serrano, maybe Serrano, just he's like had a hiring freeze or something, and it's like these are the guys he's got because you, you would think that they would be executed for their their non Hitman ability. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, my my winner is Marvin Dorfler. Said his yeah. name a bunch. The dad oh, from yeah. uh, some kind of wonderful, and that's and right, of course he right. was in Beverly Hills Cop too. So that's that was the other movie that's that right. the director did. Um, okay, uh, Roy, best food. Sure. There's something wrong with this yogurt. <laughs> it's not yogurt. It's mayonnaise. All oh, right, there we are then. Just <laughs> to keep seeding. <laughs> Takes another bite. I uh, I appreciate mayonnaise. It's uh, I have yet to develop a taste for mayonnaise um, straight. Like that, <laughs> I'll, I I hope to get there one day. Mike, food. Oh. So at midnight run, as they're making their way across, they haven't eaten for a while, and they see the chorizo and eggs just being cooked oh, up in yeah. a diner. And I wanted chorizo and eggs too when I was watching that. It looked really good, and yeah. it's great. That scene's great in hindsight because Charles Grodin is just staring at the chorizo and eggs, yes. and he yeah. really he wants legitimately so wants the chorizo and eggs. And in the context and of the movie, he's carrying three hundred thousand yeah, dollars on him. He can't yeah. have it. He can't have it because you think he doesn't have any money, and he's handcuffed. But like in like looking back now, he's staring because he's like, should I pull out three hundred thousand dollars for chorizo and eggs right now? Chorizo and eggs. <laughs> um, okay, Mike, best outfit. Yeah, so I went with Spike wearing Will scuba stuff. Yeah, that's <laughs> and my pick. And I was going to yeah. mention that line too: the vicious cycle. Yeah, it's a vicious <laughs> cycle. So that's all he had. He just <laughs> going through Will stuff, and that looks kind of cool. So he's going to wear that out of the town. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys are going to mention this later, but the fact that Will Will has um, a prescription scuba goggles. <laughs> yes, is, uh, yeah. is great. That he wears them in the movie theater. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, uh, honorable mention to Julie Roberts' spacesuit in Helix, oh, the movie oh. Helix. Uh, but I have to go with, because it's terrible, I think I like your guys' more, but Bob's Don't Hassle Me, I'm Local t-shirt. <laughs> Who sells that? You can buy it, obviously, uh, if you yeah. want. A, a, yeah. I mean, you can buy it now because of What About Bob? But yeah. like, who made it popular before Bob did? <laughs> Can you imagine, like, finding that at the Lake Winnipesaukee Souvenir Store? (laughs) (laughs) Roy Best Alien. Sure, Anna Scott, uh, because Mm -hmm. she's American, not British. Also, she was in space. Oh, good. She was in space. Okay, you did not pick the one I thought for sure you were going to pick. Mike, did you pick mine? 
Yeah, uh, maybe. So I was kind of struggling. It's like, oh, there's no aliens in this. But then it came to me, Alec Baldwin. Because uh, oh. it was kind of a shock to me when he appeared. And he's kind of, like you said, he's, he's an American in London and, and uncouth and everything. He just kind of rubs you the wrong way, everything he says and does. And so Alec Baldwin. Very obnoxious alien yeah. person. And and yet that's a good use for this category, I think. Just like, whoa, what's this? Alec Baldwin's what here. here. It's not, <laughs> that was not expected. That is a very alienating experience to suddenly see. Right. Alienating <laughs> and pristine, Alec Baldwin. Um, now, uh, okay, my pick is Spike's t-shirt with the alien popping out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Roy, best special effects, please. Okay, I hope we all have the same answer. It's shooting a helicopter. <laughs> yes, that's mine. <laughs> Mike? I went with uh, with Will walking down the street, so the time passed. Oh, you said you were going to do that. That's, yeah, that, right. yeah, that's, that's right. pretty good. Okay, Mike, best location, please. Yeah, so thanks for giving me a chance to redo this one. So last episode, you're probably so confused because I'm talking about Mordor and like, uh, so I thought it was like the most impressive like set it's, location it's where whatever. they did the best. And so, but uh, now I'd, I'd have to go with Notting Hill because it's, uh, I, you know, I like London. It's it's a nice place, but also the, uh, the in New Hampshire, the lake, what was it called? Uh, Winnipesaukee. There you go. Look, yeah, nice that's my too. pick. So, yep. Yeah, that's, that's your pick. I also, I went with Notting Hill. I, I would like to visit Notting Hill now. I like that Notting Hill is the yeah. place where you get terrible blue hair. <laughs> like it, it's like sort of you know for people who, um, like sort of misfits, kind of like Honey or or whatever. But yeah. also they're just not they're not like Instagram worthy. They still kind of look yeah. terrible, but they're honest. Yeah. And I like that. How fun would it be to go shopping on Portobello Road? That would be great. Yeah. You know, yeah, it'd be great. Okay, uh, best song. Uh, Mike, please. Do you have a song? Yeah, I do. So, um, uh, some of the songs in Notting Hill. A lot of a lot of songs in Notting Hill, and some of them work more for me than others. Mm-hmm. But uh, just in the the end scene when they're racing through London, "Give Me Some Lovin'," that worked well for me. I that's thought great. that was a fun song. Yeah, yeah, that's an honorable mention for me. Okay, Roy, give me a song. Sure. See, it's such a great scene because Marvin, Leo Marvin's just on the porch as it's pouring rain. He's just like willing the rain to stop. <laughs> See, that that's the point. The family singing, singing in the rain together with the stranger Bob. Yeah. That is like one of those things where I'm like, it's just infuriating to watch for me. Like, I just can't stand... Like, how did they get to this point where they would love to sing Singing in the Rain? In so once that editions. clip started... Yep, that's exactly... I thought of your point, John. Yep, that, that's what John was talking about. Yeah. How are they all just embracing this and loving this so oh, much? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I have... Uh, I have a song. Go ahead and play it. It's He slips himself into the soundtrack? Not really. I am cheating. This is, uh, this song didn't technically appear in Midnight Run, but you you recognize that horn section. 
this song, Try to Believe, actually appeared on an Oingo Boingo album two years after this movie. It's the last song on Dark and the End of the Tunnel. So it was Danny Elfman reworking the score of Midnight Run into an actual Oingo Boingo song. Um, And so, uh, yeah, so that's where the the horns came in. And so, like, when I started hearing those horns over and over again, I'm like, this reminds me of an Oingo Boingo song. I wonder, you know, and I was going to just get it as as a joke and say that they were related but they literally are related he like took the score of midnight run and made it into a midnight Run song so uh honorable mention to ain't no sunshine and she of course yeah. oh ain't no sunshine's good yeah i almost picked she i hate elvis costello so bad for some reason <laughs> it's a problem with me but it, it is great it's a great way to start the movie and it's a great way yeah. to end the movie okay uh yeah katie will have notes on that so be ready to <laughs> be ready to subscribe to our patreon and hear it roy Uh, Okay, uh, let's see. Best guest star. Roy, let's start with you. Sure. I like Reese Ephens, or Ephens, or however you say his name. I love Spike. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, as soon as the laws change, me and Spike are going to get married, so. All right, Mike. Yeah, my best guest, I was really pleased and surprised to see LDS Apostle Dieter F. Oh, that was mine! (laughs) (laughs) As the airline pilot. As the airline pilot, (laughs) Dukedorf was flying the plane. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's great okay that's great I, it was it was so funny to, not only was it an, was it an uncanny resemblance but he was yes. the pilot of the plane he's the pilot of the plane yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, well I'm gonna list off some honorable mentions then uh, Mike this is for you uh-huh. uh, Richard Farajoy he plays Tony in Midnight Run uh, he is. He was a character in MASH. He was on MASH. Oh, he was mm. when Father Mulcahy goes up to the front and yeah. Radar asks, what'd you do with the dog that died? And the guy goes, we ate him. We ate him. Yeah. <laughs> he was in Midnight Run. And also uh, Melinda Mullins, who plays Marie Grady in What About Bob? I'm trying to remember which character that was. But she was Marie Grady. She plays Martine in MASH. The French person oh, who comes and, yes. and Charles it's has called, a, a yeah. date with, yes, a few dates, yes. uh, relationship, and then of course Joan London of Good Morning America. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, external recurring character, Mike. Uh, we'll see if I get this right yeah. this time. So I, so this isn't a movie you've done before, but I had to throw in Seinfeld here, okay? Because because uh, Mr. Bookman appears uh, as a mobster. So he on Seinfeld, Mr. Bookman, getting the overdue books. Yes. He's one of the mobsters in uh, Midnight Run, and then of course uh, the person who married Bob and Leo Marvin's sister is Mr. Lipman, Elaine's boss from Seinfeld. And then I am sure that someone in the cast of Midnight Run was in Seinfeld at some point. I really thought it was Serrano, <laughs> and I started going through, and I just gave up. I'm just I'm sure someone in Midnight Run was in the, the show Seinfeld. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that that all worked. I thought, yeah, because Mr. Lippman was in Notting Hill, and Mr. Bookman no, was in... Mr. Bookman was in uh, in... Um, he was a mobster in Midnight Run. Midnight Run. Mr. Lippman was in uh, What About Bob? He yes. was the person who married Bob at the end to Leo's Leo Marvin's sister. I think no, if, I believe that. Right. Yeah, no, we, I might have to. I might. I might throw in the notes or something. Oh, well, I won't throw in the notes, but uh, I'm sure both one of them were. Also, they were probably in a movie too. Okay. Yeah. That counts. That counts. Seinfeld counts. That's. Okay. I watch that all the time. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> uh, Roy, external recurring character. Yeah, so this isn't too tough, uh, and I loved him in this film as well, in Heaven Can Wait, we'll just say Charles Grodin. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yes, Charles yeah. Grodin. Um, yeah, he was 
that was funny and heaven can wait heaven can wait was fun when we watched that that was our live show one of them yeah were you there mike i no, you weren't right no i was not able to i wanted to go and i hope to make it to your next live event but no i wasn't there there were like 10 other of john's brothers but yeah i wasn't yeah. There. <laughs> there's that that great moment where he's charles groden's hiding in the curtains and warren <laughs> Beatty comes in and says hey uh take a note can you do this for me and after like a couple seconds pause from behind the curtains he's like yes mr <laughs> <laughs> i love that part i love it anyway, okay yeah. uh okay play my external recurring character Sure, let's see. Do I have it? I do. I don't even know what the word means. Croupier. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the girlfriend in Croupier uh, is the is Bella in the wheelchair. His 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 oh, friend wow, Bella. So that's the girlfriend in, in like yeah. Katie and I were watching. She's like she's so familiar. Who is that? And we, oh, yeah. that's the girlfriend in Croupier. Um, which last year. Uh, for new movies that I saw, that was my second favorite new movie that I saw. And Roy yeah, did a weird. very similar list where he does the same thing I do, where he ranks all the movies he saw, and Croupier was his 92nd favorite movie of last year. <laughs> I didn't love it. Sorry. It's good. Croupier. <laughs> okay, sure. It's it's fun to say. Yeah, it is fun to say. All right, Roy, best internal recurring character. Yeah, Fran Brill, who was an actress in both Midnight Run and What About Bob? I didn't look it up this time. Who was she? Mm. Uh, who's, who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, but that's fine. We'll skip that for now. Yeah. Uh, Mike, do you okay. have an internal recurring character or idea? Yeah, it, it's a thing. So just being deceptive to get inside information. So mm. Bob with the call center people and, and De Niro, of course, stealing Mosley's badge. And then uh, Will with the horse and hound <laughs> journalist. So you, you see that. And, and there are more than that in each film. But that's definitely a recurring theme and character in each film. A lot of deception in odd couple movies. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, my internal recurring character is Tourette's, which Bob oh. fakes to make sure that he doesn't have it. And also, uh, Hugh Grant has to say whoopsie daisies whenever he falls off. <laughs> and the only explanation for Robert De Niro is that he's got Tourette's. And Robert De Niro has Tourette's, obviously. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. uh, okay, Roy, best death, please. So honorable mention to Leo Marvin's interview. That's uh, yeah. something yeah. died. Up. Yeah. But I guess I'm gonna go with Dr. Marvin's beautiful lake house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that 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 works. Okay, uh, Mike, anything? Sure. Yeah, there are a lot of deaths, of course, in Midnight Run, and, and the one that stood out to my mind as I was watching it. So it's it's the scene where there's some mobsters up on top on a tall building and like fifty police down below, and there's this big shootout going on. One of the mobsters has great coverage shooting down there, and I guess he just decides to step out in the open to see what happens, and of course gets shot like 50 times automatically, <laughs> so like, why don't you stay behind the pillar there? But he steps out for a second, and of course he is blown hey, away. Hey, you guys, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, my death is uh, Marvin Dorfler. We don't see him die on screen, but as I mentioned before, oh. Robert De Niro punches him unconscious <laughs> three separate times in the movie. <laughs> So it is like a CTE victim here. The the dad from some kind of yeah. wonderful. <laughs> and that's uh, that's why he's in such a bad mood. It mood in some kind of yeah. wonderful because yeah, he's always getting beat up by yeah. Robert De Niro. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Mike, best villain, please. Yeah, I I realized I was like going through my list and I didn't have one there, but it came to me as you were talking before. So uh, Dorfler, uh, Keith's dad, when he canceled Robert De Niro's credit card, totally oh, unnecessary. Oh, but that was just a brutal move. That so. was that was like one of those like. You know, there's professional courtesy, and then there's just like <laughs> oh. th- then there's professional one-upmanship. It's just a, it's right. the icing on the uh, 
on yeah. the, uh, you know, overcoming your competition there. There's got to be a bounty hunter code somewhere. He, yeah. he broke that. <laughs> I also picked a Dorfler, uh, and I mean, he almost ruined the uh, everything. Uh, everything. He almost ruined everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he, he, I, I love the character of Dorfler. It doesn't make any sense because he's so. <laughs> He's kind of so spry and knowledgeable, but also he does the dumbest things in the movie. Yeah. He kind of gets away with doing both <laughs> things. So, okay. I I will mention him later. Uh, my villain is honorable mention to Bob, because he's a villain. And honorable mention to Spike, because he's the worst. <laughs> but I'm going to give it to just the British tabloids. So what kind of tabloid law yeah. do they have over there? They just, I don't know. just terrible. British tabloids. Yeah. Okay, uh, Roy, best hero. John, you're gonna love this. Okay. Uh, okay, in the not the car chase, but in Notting Hill, where they're racing to the Savoy, and they obviously oh, aren't going spike. to make it in time. Yeah. Who gets out of the car and risks yep. life or limb? Good old Spike. Yep. He's my hero. He didn't lose enough limbs, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And he looks good in gray. So. He's okay. Mike, hero. Spike was my winner for the same scene. He gets out of the car, goes out. This is long. It's crazy. And so what a hero there, a hero move. My honorable mention was the desk clerk at Julie Roberts Hotel who uh, oh, yeah. you know, kind of slips in Pocahontas so uh, Hugh Grant can uh, can find um, Anna. That's yeah. a good he- that's a really good hero. I like that one. I, I, I would have <laughs> picked that one if I thought of that one. That's really good. Because yeah. um, I was going to pick De Niro because he lets Charles Grodin go at the end but I'm like no 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 and I thought about about his daughter his daughter (laughs) ill-advisedly gave him $200 you you took it you swept it right out from under me it was Denise what was that it yeah yeah $180 to the uh, save Charles Grodin fund (laughs) to the father she never knew yeah so good wow alright goof time Roy goof sure so um, you can take a prisoner on an airplane even if they don't want to. That's how being a prisoner works. You don't get to do what you want. Okay, yeah. But um, I should also slide in here that there is no such thing as a $1,000 bill. It doesn't uh, exist. It, oh. it did once upon a time, but not since like the 1920s. Okay, yeah, oh, I meant man. to look that up. Actually, and I, I think I wrote that down as a potential goof. Um, okay, excellent work. Okay, no $1,000 Okay. Um, okay, Mike, goof. Yeah, mine tend to be kind of geographic in nature. It drives my family crazy as I point things <laughs> out. But at one point uh, when uh, Groden and De Niro are in Arizona, uh, it's the middle of the day, and then they're calling their the, the main guy that they have to bring the bring him into uh, and it's dark in los angeles and that just wouldn't happen uh, it's going to be lighter later in california than it is in arizona right right you yeah it's funny how my brothers are really into uh like day and night darkness on <laughs> movies because andy had the same thing about et yeah, yeah yeah okay um my okay i'm gonna mention a couple of honorable mentions uh, before my main goof, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, in What About Bob, they say for a week to 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 Leo, hey, Julie Haggard says, make sure you're home by 7. Be home by 7, you know, because that's when the surprise party is. Be home by 7, be home by 7, be home by 7. But he wasn't doing anything um, until he decided to have Bob committed, like at 6 o'clock or whenever. 
Um, and that's where he was, where he was supposed to be home by seven. So they had no like yeah. they had no plan for him to be somewhere else. Not being at the house. Yeah, yeah, so he would have just been at the house if he didn't go and have Bob committed. Uh-huh. So yeah. Very good. Um, and also in What About Bob, I found it very strange that when Bob gets picked up by Anna, that Bob, of all people, does not wear his seatbelt. Oh. <laughs> yeah, given his phobia. Yeah, yeah, fear. he yeah. would wear a seatbelt. Okay, but I do have a clip. Mike, could you play my goof clip, please? Mike, go ahead and play it. Oh, right. oh yeah, I'm hitting play now. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, don't edit that. Okay. <laughs> Jack, you're a grown man. You have control over your own words. You're damn right I do. So here come two words for you. Shut the f*** up. <laughs> 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 so yeah, goof. He did, he he did not count. It was way more than two, two words. Yeah. Miscounted there, but the other two words are just kind of a given. They're going to be right, 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 right. Those are those are those are not words. Those are just that's just how he breathes. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. LOL moment, Mike. Please. Yeah, let's see what I got here. So um, uh, my winner, <laughs> and then I've got a couple of honorable mentions, but my winner here. <laughs> and this just made me laugh. I, I was just laughing out loud during the scene as Midnight Run when um, Robert De Niro's trying to, he's got the credit card problem and he's trying to buy the, the bus ticket. Okay. And so the bus ticket agent is kind of questioning him and, and Charles Crone is just kind of nodding at her and kind of looking at her like, yeah, you know, that's a good question. Way to, way to kind of, you know, let him have it. He's, he doesn't know what he's doing. It was just such a funny, his, his facial expressions kind of to the, uh, the cashier, the, the bus ticket person I thought was so funny. <laughs> okay, Roy. Yeah, so I think this is so funny, and I don't think anyone else does. Um, but I laugh so hard when I hear this line, and I say it all the time. So here we go. Good morning, Gil. I said good morning, Gil. Anyway, <laughs> I think that's the funniest thing. I guess I had to be there. When he, like, <laughs> scold his stupid fish for not saying good morning. <laughs> Okay, no, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, uh, honorable mention for me is in Midnight Run when Robert De Niro is calling the guy from The Matrix, or somebody, and he says he says something like, um, like, and Charles Grodin is just standing there looking at him, watching the call, and, and he says, if, if you don't have my money, then I will shoot this guy in the head and dump him in the swamp. And then he just, like, looks at Charles Grodin and just shakes his head like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm kidding about this on the call. <laughs> um, okay, but go ahead and play my LOL, please. Here you go. You hear me? I'm not ready. Don't drop me. I'm not ready. <laughs> Dr. Marin! I'm sailing! Okay, that's the Gutmans. The gut- <laughs> just, Did she yell? She Hitler? yells Hitler to him when he looks over at their boat. <laughs> it kind of a lot is happening in that scene. I meant to prep it with, "Hey, a lot of ha- is happening in this scene." You know, several yeah. different factors, and you don't expect to go to a third location within the same scene to a woman yelling Hitler at Leo. <laughs> so I have an honorable mention I'd like to play. Okay. 
Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on, I've come so far. Bob, I'm baby-stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby-stepping. I'm not a slacker. Listen to me. Check Listen. it out. Look at it. I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please. Bob, please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob, need, Bob. I need, I need. Bob. Give me, give okay, me, okay. please. All right, all right, please. all right. <laughs> give me, give me, give me. I need. <laughs> Check it out. I'm not a slacker. No, man, I love that. Nice. So, well, there you go. Okay. Uh, Roy, best D minor, please. Okay, here we go. Are you married? I'm divorced. Would you like to talk about that? There are two types of people in this world. Those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. My ex-wife loves him. Hmm. I see. So... What you're saying is that even though you are an almost paralyzed, multiphobic personality and is in a constant state of panic, your wife did not leave you. You left her because she liked Neil Diamond. No, you're saying that maybe, maybe I didn't leave her because she likes Neil Diamond, but maybe, maybe she left me? Yes. <laughs> oh, Ow. Man. Ow. Ow! The, the truth Ow! Really hurts, you guys. Oh. Ow! Yeah, that was a moment of vulnerability, right? That's there. pretty good. I and I just realized this. I meant to ask this. I just played a third of the film for you. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was long. I, I meant to. I meant to ask this, and I I can't remember if they say in Notting Hill, but did Will Thacker's wife leave him because he likes Neil Diamond? Yes. Because we don't, because yeah. that's kind of a one of those weird things. Like, who would leave? Who would leave Hugh Grant, the best looking and man, that hair, in that beautiful Notting hair? Hill. So, yeah. <laughs> I think he simply says she saw through me. So I don't know what that means. Yeah. It means he's self-deprecatingly taking blame for his. That's right. He did have some line, yeah. So that, that's kind of cryptic, but I guess I could see that. Yeah. Okay, uh, Mike, best D minor sad moment. Minor, yeah. So uh, I'll do my honorable mention, then my winner. So my honorable mention is just that when the paparazzi come in, in Notting Hill and she just turns on Will mm-hmm. and is so mean to him and she says, uh, I think her what she says is, I'll regret this forever. After they just had that wonderful time together, said, I'll regret this forever. And then his line is, uh, I will feel the opposite if that's okay by you and always feel glad that you came to stay. And that's just—it's just hard, you know. Kind of sad that it's yeah. that, that, that crumbling. But my my winner for key of D minor, and you guys mentioned this earlier, um, the scene in Midnight Run where he stops by to see his ex-wife and his daughter comes out. Like you know, Midnight Run. There's a lot going on in that film, oh. and that scene got me. Like that, yeah. that that girl that played the daughter. I just that hit me because like they haven't seen each other for nine years. This is her dad. She hasn't seen him for so long, and and then she runs and gets her babysitting money to bring it out. But she she played that really well. I thought that was a good acting by her, and and that was sad. That was tough. Nice, interesting. Uh, where's mine? Where's mine? Okay. Uh, honorable mention: the house blowing up in What About Bob? <laughs> uh, but my winner is Mike. What you said, uh, yeah. like because Julia Roberts, she walks out on him like it's suddenly nothing which also yeah. i understand um yeah. and that's like one of those things that you hear about hollywood um and why everyone complains that everyone's a phony because you you kind yeah. of know there probably is a lot of charm and mistaken sincerity that happens yeah. and you know yeah. that that same thing is may have happened to julia roberts a bunch of times where yeah. you know someone is very kind and very nice and like lends a hand and does all this stuff but then they turn when they, they see a chance to like take power yeah. or something, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so she's probably used to it. And, you know, Hugh Grant's not yeah. used to that. Yeah. So that totally takes him off guard. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. WTH, Michael. Uh, what's the <laughs> the part that. What's the meaning behind WTH? Weirded yeah, you out the most? Like, surprised you? I think surprised you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when uh, Leo Marvin's blowing up Bob. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again, I kind of explained that before. I think they did such a good part with their roles and it was it didn't strike me as this really kind of way wacky comedy, but just kind of a, you know, a, a, a plausible uh, kind of comedy. And at that point, I'm like, whoa, what is going on? He's going to kill Bob. He's going to blow him up. So that was my, uh, what the heck? The, I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity to say when he's muttering to himself and looking forward to killing Bob, he says... <laughs> On Tuesday we'll eat Gil the fish. On Wednesday we'll eat Bob. No, that's too far. Like he was not only going to kill him, he was going to he was going to eat his fish and cannibalize. Yeah, cannibalize Bob. Yeah. Well, so he has another line where he's like, "What, Faye? Oh, that's terrible. Well, he was suicidal. Anyone want more fish? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that goldfish was going to go a long way." It's in his daydream, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Roy, WTH. Sure, hold on. Let's see if we can do this. Hey, what are you going to order? From him, what are you going to order? Oh, um, I haven't decided. Huh. Well, don't overdo it. I don't want people saying there goes that famous actor with the big fat girlfriend. Oh, oh Alec. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. Yeah, he sounded a lot like... Do you ever watch 30 Rock? Because Alec Baldwin's on it, but he sounds a lot like Dennis. Uh, yeah, uh, Liz Lemon's first boyfriend in Thirty Rock. Oh, Dennis, yeah. that's right. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go. Let's go. I'm not editing this out, everybody. Okay. Oh, oh, right. I, I already said my WTH is. By the way, it's you when Honey says that to yeah. Spike, the most villainous person in all of these movies. And no. somehow your two heroes, which explains yeah, the state of the world so as far funny. as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and I love his response. He says, groovy. Groovy. <laughs> um, a Welshman. Yeah. Okay. Best quote. Roy, best quote. Yeah, you're going to love this. Okay. Since it's an evening of announcements, uh, uh, I've, I've also got one. Um, I've decided to get engaged. I found myself a nice, slightly odd-looking bloke <laughs> who I know is going to make me happy for the rest of my life. Well, wait a sec. I mean, I... I'm your brother. I don't know anything about this. Is he... I don't know. Is he, is he financially viable? <laughs> um, he's an artist with brilliant prospects. No, he has no prospects. <laughs> How... This is a secret you've been keeping from me. No, no, I swear. No, you must. By the way, it's here. You're lying. I'm the Me. There it is. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Very. Groovy. <laughs> so I have the exact opposite reaction to that as John. I think it's a great. It's yeah. great. And I think they're, I, well, they're not going to be fine because you can't stay married to Spike. <laughs> no. But I think he's, I think he's sincere, even if he's a horrible yeah. person and, and she <laughs> likes him. So I, I just, I don't understand why more people don't appreciate me for being insincere, but, you know, going out of my way to just exist in society. But, okay. <laughs> 
the reason that clip was so long is because you were frantically preparing that clip and you didn't have a chance to edit it during your middle in mid troll of me like picking you should know that i did edit that it was a much longer line so oh my gosh anyway what can you do this uh this might be the last episode of yours mine and theirs (laughs) best scene roy Hey, yeah. I did. I did my quote. Oh, what about you guys? Quote? Uh, Mike, you don't get it. Okay, fine. Get a quote. Uh, so honorable mention is when Max is driving them frantically through London to get to the hotel on time, and everyone's like being a backseat driver and telling them where to go. And he said, "James Bond doesn't have to put up, put up with this crap." He's <laughs> 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 trying. He's being the hero, and everyone's telling him where to drive. Uh, but best quote um, is the one we've already talked about. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her nice line and delivered very well okay yeah thanks for picking that i i, I didn't know if anyone would but someone yeah. should have, yeah. so thank you oh and i forgot i forgot mine actually uh Roy, yeah. go ahead and play yeah. my it's a henry james i think uh, well i've edited it oh <laughs> great uh since we've been talking in order to troll you somebody anyway here it goes that's a really, it's good really great one <laughs> <laughs> I think the subtitles is get out of the get car. out of the car. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, best scene, Mike. Okay. Um, I'll. I'll. Well, should I save my uh, honorable mentions? Should I do my best scene? Yeah, do your best well, scene. I'll... Then we'll do the honorable mentions. Sure. My best scene. My winner mm-hmm. was actually the the last scene, the end of Midnight Run. Really? Like I love that. Yeah, oh, I, I wow. really like that scene where he just sure. let him go and he kind of disappeared and, and uh, you know, the movie kind of drew me in. I got invested in the characters and I like that. I like that a lot. Oh, beautiful. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, you want mine? Okay. okay, so the reason this is taking me longer is because I have to load them up and then I have to adjust the volume and it's all screwed. And you put an entire scene in here. This is, it, well, it's a scene. Here we go. If uh, it turned out that this person... <laughs> Uh, Thacker. His name was Thacker. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> Just wondered whether if Mr. Thacker realized he'd been uh, a daft prick <laughs> and got down on his knees and begged you to reconsider whether you would, in fact, then reconsider. I edited out about five minutes of pregnant pauses here. <laughs> yes, I believe I would. <laughs> This is a great ending. That's very good news. Um, the readers of Horse and Hound will be absolutely delighted. <laughs> anyway, it's great. And then she asks, she has that one reporter ask the question again. And then yeah. she starts by Mr. Costello. It's a great scene. It's a great scene. Like, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's a good scene. It's great. It's fine. <laughs> it, it'll work. You know, I'm reminded, I meant to ask this before. I think I've mentioned this before. But have either of you two ever seen any of the trip movies? Uh-uh. Uh, I've seen the road movies. I've seen one of the road the, movies. Well, there's there's a movie called The Trip. There's another movie called The Trip to Italy. There's another movie called uh, The Trip to Spain. There's another movie called The Trip to Greece. And it's two British comedians, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, um, where they're kind of... You know, this almost would work for this. Like maybe I should have picked it, actually, for like kind of odd couple. They're very similar, but they also don't like each other. Uh, they're just kind of forced to be with each other, you know, where they review food. But they're like com- they're competing, like impressionists, and so they they have several minutes where they're impersonating Hugh Grant to each other. 
like a bunch of times, like several different times. Mm. And it's and it's just really good. They do like Hugh Grant and Michael Caine and Roger Moore. Just these just these old British actors that they just have just have a way about them and and they just go overboard with it. So it's like there are four movies about this. And it's really good. I recommend. Okay. Uh, my scene is just the sequence where Julie Roberts is actually living with Hugh Grant because she can't yeah. go out, and they're just hanging out at home, yeah. which is uh, my favorite thing to do. <laughs> yeah, they just have a nice time together. It's just such Very, a lovely time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Peach ice cream. Yeah. Can I mention my honorable mentions real oh, quick? Oh, now you go. Yeah. yeah. So, so one was uh, the one that Roy said that that last scene, the press conference. I love that scene. The race through London to get there. I love that. Um, when Will's telling his friends that he rejected Anna and their reaction and response, another great scene. And then the last one is just that, that scene at the end where she gives that line and he rejects her. And again, I, I really appreciated her acting in the film. You just kind of see her heart break. Like she's completely vulnerable and she gets rejected and she's crushed. And, and uh, those are great scenes. Hmm. Yes. And... I only noticed it this time around, but when at the beginning of the film, when she gets bit by the radioactive Notting Hill, mm. that's what really elevates this film. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that was a... The, the movie's not called Notting Hill, man. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, best actor, Mike. Yeah, so... My winner surprised me. Honorable mention, Julia Roberts. I already yeah, mentioned. Yeah, I, I just times. really like that. Yeah. And then um, honorable mention, the kid on the plane watching Robert De Niro create his fake ID. <laughs> I, just, I just like that little kid. But my winner, and this was a surprise, is Charles Grodin. I just thought, really liked uh, his performance in Midnight Run. Wow. Okay, Charles Grodin. Yeah. He's yeah. I, the dryness is yeah. very appreciated. All right, Roy. Well, yeah, uh, let me play a quote from my best actor here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you, John. You're welcome. <laughs> so, no, I thought Richard Dreyfus is just incredible in this film, and maybe <laughs> he had the inspiration that he didn't want, but uh, he's great in this film. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, there's method, right? And then there's um, kind of uh, enforced method, right? Where you don't yeah. have a choice, no choice in the matter. <laughs> conscripted yeah. method maybe you call it I don't know <laughs> uh, okay my actor I went with John Ashton who is Keith's dad in some kind of wonderful who <laughs> oh, <laughs> plays Marvin it, it's just it's just funny because uh, he's so against type and you get the sense that he's just because he's this weird goofball bounty yeah. hunter guy who's just so not Keith's dad and it's just like having a good time <laughs> being in Midnight Run so yeah, yeah I liked it Okie dokie. Uh, I think those are all the awards. Special awards. Special awards. awards. Okay, so the special awards are, we're going to mix it. We have three sets of odd couples. So we're going to make different odd couples, and I don't know if we're going to make different movies, but just like, okay, what would happen if these odd couples get together? Then what's the most Uh volatile odd odd couple or whatever? So do you mind if I go first? Here's here's how I have it. It's, It's Midnight Run with Anna Scott instead of Charles Grodin. So De Niro has to escort Hollywood princess Anna Scott across country because Uh she has stolen money from the mafia. Oh my gosh. Okay, you really did this. I just kind of heard them up. I guess I'll just keep going. (laughs) Okay, so uh, Dr. Marvin's newest uh, case is Duke Mandukas (laughs) 
And uh, he ends up spending the weekend uh, like Winnipesaukee and Duke just slowly wears him down trying to help him get better in touch with his family, but in a, the most like persistently annoying way possible. And then finally, uh, William Thackert and his unlikely love story with Bob Wiley in Notting Hill. Okay, very good. Very good. <laughs> okay, okay. Mike, what do you have? Yeah, mine are totally different. Oh, okay. So when I was watching uh, uh, What About Bob, uh, or no, sorry, Midnight Run, I thought, okay, Charles Grodin, uh, Jonathan Mandukas will be perfect with uh, Bill Murray, Bob mm. Wiley, because they're both. But then we realized that Charles Grodin's a lot smarter than we realized, and he's kind of faking a lot of that. But I still put them together. That'd be interesting. I've got Robert De Niro and Hugh Grant together, just because I want to see how long that would last before, you know, uh, Robert De Niro kills him, uh, and then uh, Anna Scott, and that just left me with Anna Scott and Dr. Leo Marvin, Julia Roberts, and Richard Dreyfuss, and I don't mm. know anything clever there, but that's that's how I paired him up. Oh yeah, I, I guess she's beautiful, but also manages to drive Richard Dreyfuss insane. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I could I could see that. Okay, uh, interesting way you did that because you kind of went with the likable. You kind of paired two likable people with two yeah. unlikable, like two likable people together with each other and then two unlikable people together with each other. Uh-huh. So that was interesting. I did not do that. I should have. Okay. Uh, first of all, I had to make sure that Hugh Grant and Charles Grodin were together. That's who <laughs> I paired. I think, you know, the just uh, different, you know, American mumbling and British mumbling. Yeah. Like, could that happen? <laughs> um, and then Richard Dreyfus, and by my definition – Spike is the person that he has to be paired up with because Spike is the real odd couple person. So Dreyfus has to deal with Spike and that might elevate his insanity. And then that would put Robert De Niro with Bill Murray um, where surely violence will happen. A lot more violence than in either movie. Okay. So that is it for all the awards, and now... Oh, no, there's one more, right? Because that's a good segue. Wasn't there a special uh, Battle Royale? Uh, so there's Battle oh. Royale, like, yeah, which, okay. I forgot. <laughs> I think I think probably, um, I think De Niro and Groden are winning it, because Groden's pretty big, and De Niro's super violent. So it's tag team um, Battle Hugh, Royale. They're like, yeah. Hugh, yeah. Well, yeah, either, uh, but Hugh Grant's right out. He's just right. going to get killed. <laughs> right. That's what I had in mind. Like, yeah. before they enter the ring, he's out. And yeah. then I had my last two standing. Hugh Grant gets Robert tangled up in the, in the ropes. <laughs> and he gets whoops and easy. Yeah. yeah, he's done. And then uh, Robert De Niro and Julia Roberts are the last two standing. And if, if Julia Roberts just had a, an interaction with the paparazzi, she wins. Like, she's so, going to be so Fury. violent. Just yeah. take him out. Yep. And she's probably a foot taller than Robert De Niro, oh, so yeah. she's got that going. So yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I'm just gonna just gonna Richard Dreyfus beats everybody because he <laughs> uh, he brings explosives in. Uh, <laughs> so that's where I'm gonna go. Okay. Okay. Let's do the rankings, shall we? Roy, yeah. you have um, stats on the movies. Sure. Hey, our average Rotten Tomato score is 87. Oh, percent That's pretty, pretty good, good for three yeah. films. Uh, Midnight Run comes in at 95%. What about Bob at 82 and Notting Hill at 84? So Midnight Run cost 35 million and it made 82. What about Bob cost 39 million? That sounds like so much money. You know, Predator cost 17 million. What about Bob cost 39? (laughs) So there you go. That's great. Uh, what about Bob made $64 million. Notting Hill cost $42 million, and we know where 15 of that went. <laughs> and uh, $364 wow. million. That's wow. a successful wow. film. I would have yeah, thought, it's weird, investment. I would have thought, what about Bob 
was a more popular movie than Notting Hill, but I guess it was just because it just seemed more popular because I was younger at the time. So, yeah. Huh. Okay. Okay. Cool. Those are the movies. Okay, uh, Mike. Let's go ahead and start with you. What was your uh, least favorite? Yeah, coming at number, and I liked them all, but coming at number three for me is what about Bob? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I guess yeah. we should have. Yeah, because you didn't love it, as you say. I didn't love it. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right, right. Yeah, I think we're going to be all over the place. Yeah. Uh, my number three is Midnight Run. Uh, it's not. Ni- it's neither my favorite De Niro or Groden film. <laughs> not that I really expected it to be either. And I'm. I'm just. I don't know. I love Groden, and and De Niro's pretty good. I. I just. Anyway, it's my number three. It's yeah. no Clifford, is what you're saying. It's no Clifford. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, okay, well, really quick, I'm going to say I kind of loved all three of these equally, really. Like, oh, And I liked, them, I liked them all. But So it's going to be weird to say that I liked Midnight Run oh, uh, wow. third most. That's uh, shocking. Technically, I, yeah. Although I would have picked that as your top. But I, I, really, I really did like it. I really did like it. Okay. Um, hmm. Swinging around, uh, I have some qualms with it. Like, I kind of don't... I mean, I kind of it's it's romantic to me, but Notting Hill, all, I kind yeah. of feel like oh. it needs it needed more romance for them. Like I wish they had more romance. I got the romance, yeah. but did they get the romance? <laughs> uh and so I'm I'm going Notting Hill even though I have like Notting Hill type qualms with it. It's still great. That's All right, funny. Roy, what do you think? Okay. So, I mean, this this movie i i think it's really romantic although the age difference really bothers me between bob and hannah but we laugh really hard every time we watch it so what about bob (laughs) is my number two wow okay mike you're number two i've got midnight run is my number two i i I enjoyed it it was a a, just a a fun movie and uh but it comes in at number two for me So, so you and I are in the same spot, Mike, with our number one. I, yeah. I just want to say, like, Notting Hill kind of shocked me. It is really good. Yeah. And yeah. I think has has become, it's kind of moved up multiple steps in my favorite romantic comedies. It's just a yeah. really, had, really good movie. I had the same reaction. I hadn't seen it for a while, and, and I saw it, and like, yeah, this is, this is a good film. I like it. Yeah. And my number one is What About Bob, which makes no wow. sense because... <laughs> It's still, and the reason I had to pick it, you know, pretty much when I watched these, I had kind of an equal amount of fun watching all of these movies. They're all different. They're all fun in their own way. But I'm giving it to What About Bob just because I was just surprised at sort of the change I felt in annoyance from before. Like, I'm not (laughs) as annoyed as when I watched it before. And so, therefore... So, less shame? Yeah, it's like slightly less less shame. shame. Yeah. Uh, But I did kind of see something. It was kind of weird because... I'm so used to just like not understanding why the family likes Bob, but now I kind of understand a little bit more. So it's just kind of, just kind of in comparison from last time I saw it. Sometimes it mm. works that way. So, all right. Uh, Okie dokie. So that's it for this. We're done. Everybody oh take a break. Yeah. You know, this is my favorite part of the podcast. It's fun to watch the movies and talk about them, but all I really care about is what's coming up. <laughs> all right. Fun. Okay. So future business time. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, I want to say, so next time it's my movies that I've never seen, which is always so stressful because it's like, how do I know (laughs) if they're good if I haven't seen them? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm going to just go ahead and just mention a few that I wanted to see before I get to it. 
Um, Roy, you said you didn't want to watch Barry Lyndon when Ryan O'Neill died. I wanted oh, to I watch Barry like, Lyndon. I've never seen Barry I would Lyndon. like to watch Barry yeah. Lyndon, yeah. But, but I did not pick Barry Lyndon. Um, I did not pick Being There, uh, the mm. uh, the movie, the, the Hal Ashby movie with the what's-his-name Peter Sellers in it that's supposed to be really good. I did not pick uh-huh. The Great Dictator, a Charlie Chaplin talkie oh. where he specifically mm-hmm. does a monologue at the end saying, we really need to do something about this Hitler guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did not pick Reds, the Warren Beatty communist movie that had me intrigued. I did not pick Cleopatra, the Liz Taylor, because it was four hours long. Oh, thank heavens. <laughs> um, I wanted to pick a movie from 1997 because Mike... 1997 uh-huh. was the year, the complete year that I was gone. I was on my mission yeah. in 1997, and so gap. I have that yeah. gap. Yeah, so I did not pick the Postman, the Kevin Costner Postman movie. Oh, also, thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> and I did not pick Cube. Very close to picking Cube. I did not pick Cube. Mm. I did not pick uh, the six-hour Soviet-made War and Peace, where they had full cooperation from the Soviet military, and they had battle scenes of 100,000 people. I did not pick that one. I did not pick After Sun, a movie from 2022 that was uh, Film Spotting's favorite movie of that year, and I never got around to it. I never... I did not pick Grave of the Fireflies, the Japanese animated movie that apparently is the saddest of all movies ever made, and it makes people weep crazy weep. Yeah. Uh, I did not pick Raw Deal, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. (laughs) But you should have. (laughs) Me should have. I did not pick Psycho 2. I'm curious about Psycho 2. That's okay. Uh, I did not pick Frenzy, Alfred Hitchcock's final movie in the 70s. Um, And I did not pick Josie and the Pussycats, made by the people who made Can't Hardly Wait, that I hear is really appreciated in age. I did not pick Duck Soup, the March, March Brothers movie. Uh, I didn't pick Sullivan's Travels or All About Eve. I picked uh-huh. uh, this movie that I really know nothing about, and I've been meaning to watch it for years, and it's finally time because I'm afraid it might be spoiled, and I don't even know what it's about at all. And the movie is an old movie. It's called The Third Man. Oh, The Third yeah. Man. Which year? Uh, shoot, I don't actually know the year. Is it Orson Welles is the actor in I it? I think it's Orson Welles, yeah. So, are there two The okay. Third Mans? <laughs> yeah, because this is like, like Hitchcock made a bunch of movies where he made them in the 20s, and then he's like, hey, now that people care about me, I have more money, I'm doing it again. Uh, let's do the one again. I assume that is the way to go. Yeah, like The Man Who Knew Too Much. Yeah. Uh, he did that one twice, or like the lady on a yeah. train or something. All anyway, I know third for man, sure about The Third Man is we've we've already watched like after the thin man and we didn't watch the yeah. thin man but i assume the third man is just the third the thin man <laughs> <laughs> uh i wish it was <laughs> but uh Let's yeah that's see, all i know for sure I yeah so okay 1949 the third the, man so we're Very watching good. the third man okay uh the next one uh roy we watched a movie from the same director and that movie was a movie called solaris so we're watching another oh boy i forgot his name the russian guy uh, but he had another movie called Stalker. Oh. So, uh, uh, let's see, 1979? Yep, a bunch of Russian names yeah. here. Yeah, so oh. the Russian movie Stalker. So since we're not watching the six-hour war and peace, we're watching Stalker. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Okay, and I did pick a movie from 1997, and this could be a huge mistake, but last time I picked the movies, all the movies, we watched uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors. 
So now yeah. we're watching the 1997 Woody Allen movie I've never seen called Deconstructing Harry. Ooh. And from my understanding, it's about a bunch of people who kind of get together and cancel a guy. Uh, okay. And so I, I think that might be sort of fitting, although, you know, I mean, I, it, it's very, very meta because I think Woody Allen plays a villain that everyone hates. And so it might be the perfect time to watch it. So <laughs> I don't know. Those are my three. So I don't know there how well they're going to go. Uh, Roy, have you seen any of them? No, I haven't. Uh, I mean, the third man. I've you seen have the seen man, the third but man. But it's been a long okay. time. Yep. Okay. Haven't seen the third man. Right. Yeah. Pretty good. Well, okay. So now would be the time where I would reveal to you what category we're going to have to vote on for some movies. There's nothing to vote on. Uh, in two weeks, Katie's going to come on and tell us what her three birth month movies are. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's very exciting. However, it is time to think about some categories for Katie to suffer through. Uh-huh. Now, the random choice is volcano movies oh, oh. i'm changing my vote to that one it feels <laughs> like there's a lot less volcano movies than you would think there are i can think of two. unless you're talking uh <laughs> if, so we might be able to fill out a podcast if we do documentaries as well so, oh yeah yeah okay that counts there's there's some good volcano documentaries there's the one about the the couple the weird couple that like searches out volcanoes and they almost yeah. like engulf themselves in flames or whatever oh yeah yeah, yeah, shouldn't do that. Have you done Joe versus the volcano? No, oh. no. We had a real good opportunity to do it. Who screwed that up? You did, John. <laughs> what did I pick? I don't know, but you're like anything. I'm just. I'm making a point of not picking <laughs> Joe versus right. the volcano. Wow, <laughs> I forgot about that. That was and you made me cry. Uh, okay, uh, so actually, yes, that would absolutely fit in the volcano category. So here's the one I picked, and it's not going to win, but I put so much work into this category. So it's called That's My Name, Don't Wear It Out. And the point of this is we watch three movies where the leading actors share the same last name. So let me give you a few quick examples. Mm -hmm. So Stuart being Kristen, Patrick, or Jimmy. Hudson being Ernie, Kate, or Rock. Keaton, Buster, Michael, Diane. Roger Moore, Julianne Moore, Demi Moore. Uh... Drew Barrymore, Lionel Barrymore, Ethel Barrymore, Hugh Grant, Cary Grant, Lee Grant, Tommy Lee Jones, Catherine Zeta-Jones, James Earl Jones, or Felicity Jones, Gary Cooper, Bradley Cooper, Alice Cooper, <laughs> Rebel Wilson, Owen Wilson, Rain Wilson, Dakota Johnson, The Rock Johnson, Don Johnson, Christopher Lee, Jason Lee, Bruce Lee, Ginger Rogers, Roy Rogers, Mimi Rogers, Janet Leigh, Vivian Leigh, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Elijah Wood, Evan Rachel Wood, Ed Wood, Steve Reeves, Keanu Reeves, or Christopher Reeve. So those are some examples. Uh, of how Christopher it Reeve. That's a singular Reeve. Yes, and here is how I'm going to let this work. I don't care about the S on the end, so because it is a little restrictive. Also, mm-hmm. if the spelling is like Smith with a Y instead of Smith with an I, uh, that's fine. Like Brewmaster Smythe. That. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but what I can't handle is like one of the last, like you can't change last names and first names. That's not interchangeable. I just won't allow that. And it can't be drastically different spellings, but I'm okay with Keanu Reeves and Christopher Reeve. Okay, I'm going to allow all those changes, and you know why? Why? Because it's not going to win the vote. It's not going to win, yeah. (laughs) So that's fine. Uh, Okay, uh, I have a pick, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know which one it is, but Road Trip Movies... Oh, how fun. Two for the road. That's what I would pick, probably with uh, Audrey Hepburn. Oh, fun, fun. Okay. Well, that one's going to win. Never seen it. 
Uh, yeah. What are some road trip movies that immediately come to mind? Uh, Midnight Run. <laughs> well, we should definitely watch that again. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Run Two, Noon Run, Noon You've Run, done, uh, Vacation. <laughs> we I haven't presume. done Vacation. Ooh. Yeah, of course. That's that's the biggie. It's an epic road trip. It's a really big. Yeah. Movie. There's a movie called Road Trip. Um, let's see. Uh, is Caravan a road trip movie? I mean, I, I, maybe. Yeah, that's that's a. Maybe that's a road trip movie. Not really. I don't know. <laughs> Now, road trip, are we talking like you're in a car driving from a location to another, or like would the road to Bali be a road trip movie? Uh, I think the road to Bali would probably be a road trip movie. That, it's it's your category. Yeah. We didn't do Vanishing so Point, it, right? No, we didn't do Vanishing Point. Yeah, I'd say I would probably want to do something like Vanishing Point, maybe for... Vanishing Point's a lovely movie. That's the Gary Newman, right? Not Gary Newman. No, no, no. Is it Gary Newman? No. Van... Paul Newman? <laughs> it's not. No, it's not Paul Newman. I no Vanishing Point. I think I did that for you, the In Memoriam. You did it for podcast. In Memoriam. I don't know who's in it though. Is it not Henry Fonda or something? Or like? Uh... It's something Newman. I don't even know my own podcast. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. why, why would you? Know? I think it's Gary Newman. Maybe, why would I? Know? Yeah, maybe you should plug your podcast right now. Is this the time? Hey, uh, are you at all interested in uh, listening to a bunch of friends talk about Carl Weathers, who just died, which is really sad? by the way but we had a really great time uh john that's going to be published shortly after you hear this so Thank you're going to get this out tonight and i'll get mine out tomorrow hopefully so i'm going to try to get this out tonight so yeah <laughs> yeah john don't try just do okay. it okay <laughs> okay cool uh, that's a memorial yeah there you go mm-hmm. yeah you also do another one uh, about the triangles yeah the 70s television one uh the uh what's it called uh, uh you know fantasy murder love that's triangle cool. yeah we just did not Brett Halsey. I can't remember who we just did. <laughs> this is great. Why can't I remember? Again? Yeah, I'm. I'm. What, what makes me really happy is that you're not bothering to edit this. No, we did the delightful Ray Milland, who was, of course, on Fantasy Island, Columbo, and The Love Boat. And The Love Boat was a special two-parter in Alaska, which was super cool. And Ray Milland is just excellent. You know him from Dial M with For Murder. But also, he is... John, have you ever seen Love Story? Uh, no, I never saw Love Story. It's well, you should have picked Love yeah. Story. So he well, is uh, Ryan O'Neill's father in Love Story. Oh, anyway, okay. Ray Milland. It was a real treat. And I love doing that podcast. You know, just a couple brothers talking about 70s television. I love to hear so it. I love you. to hear it. Okay, well, nice. I guess that's all we have to talk about. Everybody get to watching that's movies it. I've never seen. So yeah, uh, nice. go ahead and do that. Um, Mike, it's been swell. Yeah. I can't believe it's over. No, it's Thank been you, so Mark. fun. Thank you both yeah. so much. It's been really fun to to be on this, and I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for hanging in there. Um, you know, with your cold and everything. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry about the cold. It's yeah, no problem. Yeah, I just, I just, just, just want you to get some sleep. Get some, get some. Go home and get some broth. That'll be good. Yep. All right. Done. All right. Thanks again. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again, Mike. Just call anytime. I will. Thanks, guys. All right. Wonderful. Well, that's right. it for yours, mine, and theirs. Everybody. Uh, get to watching my movies as said and uh, don't say goodbye say good journey that's it for me we're done yeah and uh, my final word is Barry Newman there we go oh okay Barry Newman hours hours and hours preview preview and preview alright next one I know Although, you know this I think I saw Hulk Hogan during a wrestling match hold up a sign called Peace in the Middle East. So maybe he has a plan? Uh, yeah, no. He, 
we all have plans. Don't okay. Uh, okay, but you know this next one. Okay. I'm sure of it. Uh, it's from 1975, and it's called Capone. It's starring uh, Harry Guardino, um, Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> Susan Blakely, John Cassavetes. 1975? And, and, oh, Ben Gazzara is the main guy. Yeah, 1975. Yeah. Stallone was in a surprising number of movies before Rocky. Yeah. Right. So, oh man, I want to believe that he plays Capone, but there's no way he does, right? I mean, so this is just a movie about Al Capone, right? This is just Prohibition era Chicago and Capone, right, as the yes. mafia boss. So I don't yes. I think know. I struggled this for your benefit just because I'm like, I've never heard you mention this Stallone. I didn't know this movie existed, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Man Who Made the 20s Roar... I don't know. That's kind of, I don't know. That's, that's high praise. I would say. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. The man who made the twenties roar comes to life in this bullet riddled biodrama. Ben Gazzara stars as legendary gangster Al Capone, who rose from the New York tenements to become the king of organized crime in prohibition era Chicago until his 1931. Conv- okay. Well, we know, we all know the story. Uh, yeah. Harry Guardino is Capone's underworld mentor and pre Rocky Sylvester Stallone is mob enforcer, Frank Nitty. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Okay. All right, so uh, there's that. I'm glad I stumped you with that one. I did not he's, think those. He's a, Stallone's beefy and Italian. It works. Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, next movie, 2018. Uh, Michael Caine um, and Jim Broadbent, Tom Courtney, Michael Gambone, Ray Winston, uh, Paul Whitehouse, Charlie Cox. So you probably investigated this one when you when you did, didn't you do Michael Gambone on the other, on the death podcast? Are you saying it that way to be funny? Is that how you really pronounce his name? Is it Gambon? I've always said Gambon, but I'm not British. Maybe you are. I don't know. Or is he French? Cause you're saying Gambon. Gambon. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I'm, well, you know, I'm, I'm mostly uh, Scottish English with uh, 164th Danish. Very good. So what's the name of the movie? King of Thieves is the name of the movie. King of Thieves. Uh, you know what? Uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with this film, and it, it's not. It doesn't ring a bell as far as one that we saw when we were doing Michael Gambon. I think we're discovering to our dismay that there are more movies that exist than we previously assumed. Oh my gosh! It's going to take us forever to finish this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. All okay. Right, what do you think? Well, uh, I think it's a bunch of. Uh, old british men who used to be thieves and now they're a bunch of has-beens and you know some young thieves are on the scene doing you know being all flash and like and and so these guys let's go ahead and say this is one of those movies where the old thieves help the cops catch the new thieves because the new thieves have no class and they murder children uh i think you mostly had it before you made it more complicated i think okay um, I okay. It says London, 2015. I read that and I thought, oh, this is in the future. No, it's not in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it was set three years before the movie was made and nearly ten years ago. Mm. Um, 2015 is no longer the future. Okay, London, 2015. 77 year old career criminal Brian Reeder, Michael Caine, figured mm. that he still had one last big score in him. 
Recruiting a pack of professionals, most of them also seniors, he orchestrated an audacious break-in at the Hatton Garden safe deposit coming away with one of the largest halls in British history. Remarkable chronicle of the highest co-stars Jim Broadbent, Tonka, and the people I just mentioned. So, it's uh, a fun cast. Yeah, I think it's a, tr- and it's a true story. So that's hmm. pretty interesting. It's a big, huge heist in 2015. So it's a recent heist. Yeah. Big cast. So, I mean, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, tell me what this movie is about. Uh, 1935. Um, and it has a bunch of people you don't know because it's 1935. Henry Wilcoxon, Ian Keith, Joseph Schildekraut, <laughs> Alan Hale Sr. <laughs> Alan Hale Sr., the, the dad of the skipper from Gilligan's Island. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, and it's called The Crusades, 1935. I guess sometimes mm. the, these old movies, they give themselves away. Okay. Um, man, that's an old film. And I'm guessing it's about the Crusades. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm, Because of the year that it was made, I'm guessing it's about how good the Crusades were in 